wow, we came through this this really narrow choke point, and it was in late February, so everything was frozen. We're in the Hindu Kush, so everything's fucking frozen as shit. We're driving on side by sides, and then this is later on the day, so the day thaws out. All the ground starts thawing out. These fucking uh, Afghan SF guys in their fucking truck, they're all loaded down heavy as shit, drive through that same choke point and set off an absolutely fucking massive IED. Blew all of them up to shit. All on the side of the hill, they're spread out. I'm like thinking to myself, like, what the fuck is going on? I have guys shooting me from this side. These guys just blew up over here. I didn't really, like, I was trying to like, I, you know what I mean? Like your very first time, <laughs> what the fuck is going on? And Pat hit me so hard in the back of my head. Like knock some fucking sense. He said, shoot motherfucker. And he hit me so fucking hard. I was like, oh God, what do I got to do? I got to, okay. So I grasped my berries. I started engaging the guy. And that was, that was that. I seen another gentleman coming through and he was wearing all black. We had ranged this entire area and he was 1170 out and he came peeling through and he was going directly towards the guys we could not fucking talk to. And I remember I stood up and fucking, I was never, people say one shot, one kill bullshit. That's not real. It's one shot, good correction, keep sending. That's pretty much what I did. I remember it was about three shots later. This guy, he was on like a full fucking movement, like quarter facing me, and he just ate shit dirt. That was the first time I ever killed somebody. He's 1170 meters out. Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both an honor and a pleasure to welcome my next guest to the podcast. He spent seven years on active duty with the U.S. Army as a sniper section individual attached to SEAL Team 3 and multiple ODA teams uh, in the theater of operations known as the Sandbox. He's the co-founder of Guggen Squad, the curator of Lunkers TV and Guggen Squad YouTube channels, the co-founder of Guggen Bates. He essentially makes a living getting mouths to open up and wrap around whatever the fuck he wants. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Robert Turkla. <laughs> That's probably the best way I've ever heard anybody introduce. Yeah, I, I get, I get uh, people buy stuff that I sell that gets put into other things' mouths. <laughs> <laughs> they're plastic and they're not dildos, so that's yeah. a good... I like it. <laughs> I, I, I always try to uh, distinguish, you know, the show by starting it out with a good, uh, good intro. So if, uh, if the guest <laughs> is laughing and say that's a first, then uh, then I've done my job. Yeah, that's good. Uh, what do you think the meaning of humans' existence is, or, or what is the purpose of humans being here? <laughs> God, I, at times, right now, I don't know. We live in a fucking clown world, so. Um, I think at the beginning, God was like, hey, let's see, let's get these people to go out there and produce. And now he's like, oh, fuck, calm down. Don't produce anymore. You guys need to fucking stop. I think that's where we're getting to. Now it's a rabbit cage. It's over, <laughs> yeah. overflowed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you you believe in God, I assume? Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, what's the biggest fish you've ever caught? Um, Fish-wise, I caught a Goliath grouper, which is like the size of a fucking small school bus. What, uh, you remember the weight? Or did <laughs> no, we couldn't pull that some bitch out no of the water. Shit. Yeah, they, they used to be called a Jewfish back in the day. And if you type in Goliath grouper, you're either going to pull an image of a Jewfish or a Goliath grouper. And it wasn't actually a derogatory term. They just called it a Jewfish back in the day. But it's like literally fucking the size of this room right here. I mean, like uh, for, for ones that have actually been pulled out, I mean, is there an, like a, a range of weight? You can't pull them out of the water here oh, in America. No, it's oh, illegal. Shit. Yeah, they put them on a boat. Holy so fuck. all we do is we catch them, we jump in, take the fucking photo and get out. Is there a guess as to what they weigh? Thousands of pounds. Oh, shit. They're fucking huge. God damn. Yeah, they eat legit. They would suck that you would be nothing to them. <laughs> it's insane. 
That's a fucking trip. What, do they eat other fish? Or yeah, they, yeah, they eat fucking everything. God damn, that's wild. <laughs> well, uh, where does the Guggen name come from? Guggen name sort of as a meme account. Actually, a lot of people don't realize that Guggen means terrible fisherman or stupid fisherman. It really does. It means you're fucking, you're a terrible fisherman. And I heard the terminology like six years ago in Florida on a fishing trip. And I was like, we're going to call ourselves the Guggen squad because we're all just bad fishermen. That's it. And then and the brand fucking took off. Yeah. And it's just, I think people just related to the content we put out. They want to be attached to a product and not like some random shit they don't know. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a fucking brilliant marketing, uh, not gimmick, but uh, <laughs> principle, I guess. Yeah, it's, but, it's worked pretty well. Yeah. Uh, what's something that if you look back on your life that you wish you had done differently? Done differently. Um, <laughs> honestly, the guy is probably... Do the dumb shit I did in the military at a younger age. Yeah. 100%. Like, I, I legitimately, my cousin joined, and I gave him the correct route, quote, unquote, the correct route, and now he's got every fucking school he can think of. He's in Ranger, <laughs> like, he's done everything. I'm like, because he did it flopped from what I did. Yeah. What, uh, is there a, like, a number one example of, of what, what one of those things would have been? Uh, do all the bullshit schools when you're fucking 18 and 19 and not, yeah. like, in your like when you've already been broken down and like don't yeah. do all the do stupid shit later on. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Get it out of the way right then. Like yeah. take the extra four weeks after basic and just go fucking do the stupid shit right yeah. there. You know? Is there a a worst military school you've been through? Yeah, Airborne's fucking stupid. The dumbest fucking school in history. Yeah, like I, I, it's like what a six weeks long or something. Like they could teach somebody how to jump out of a plane static line in four days. Yeah. I know. I mean, like our guys don't even go there anymore. It's pointless. Uh, what know, the fuck's the point of it? Static line is the most outdated bullshit. Like, I think they're just doing it just because it's something we did World War II to put a metal. Like, it's the dumbest shit ever. Yeah. And honestly, Army's air assault schools just about as fucking bad. <laughs> Let's be real. Like, you just fucking slide yeah. out of a helicopter, yeah. but you never actually, like, unless you're in bat, you're never going to use that in the regular Army. Yeah. <clears throat> like, it's just wasted money. Yeah. Like, there's no need for it. No, I agree. I, I think, uh, I mean, the army of all the branches, I think, uh, kind of takes the cake as far as bureaucracy based, useless fucking training in schools. Oh my God. Know. And they only, they spend the fucking money because if they don't spend it, they're going to lose it the following yeah. year. I couldn't tell you how many fucking LTs those guys, not, uh, the guy that's just underneath the CEO right now. I can't remember the fucking name of him. Um, he's in charge of like logistics and all that bullshit. I've heard them say so many times, we have to spend this money on training or we're going to lose it next year. Yeah, I know. Well, that's not the fucking, what, what do you mean? Yeah. You just want me to go randomly shoot shit for yeah. no reason? I, I think in that case, instead of buying shit they don't need, that, that should be a, a distribution to all the soldiers as a fucking bonus. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I mean, yeah, like that, that would be better than buying shit you don't need. Like in morale, morale would be tenfold higher. Never fucking thought of that, yeah. yeah. Um, what's the number one business principle, principle that you live by? Don't fuck people over, ever. Like the money, you can make money doing just about anything, but never fuck somebody over, over money. Yeah. Cause it'll fuck your, your name and your reputation for life. Yeah. Like you'll never be able to do stuff within a certain industry or group of people if you screw them over. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and no matter how much it's for, it won't be worth the long run. Oh, that's for no, sure. Yeah. No. Yep. Uh, where are you originally from? Born in Texas. I kind of quote unquote grew up in just South of Seattle. I lived there for like 14 years and then I had, I was a really bad kid. Like just about every other military person I'd fucking know. I dropped out of school at 14, started like getting mixed in with like not doing drugs, but I was selling drugs. What, uh, what kind? 
uh, just about anything I could. Really? Honestly, yeah. I was, it was terrible. I was, I did nothing like heroin or anything like that, but like cocaine and weed and shit like that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I was 14. I was, fuck, it was terrible. I, I think you, when you get mixed in with the wrong crowd and that's what happened, dropped out, did all that. My mom said, nope, fuck that, uprooted me and shipped me off to Texas. And then everything stopped at like 15. My grandparents took me in and I kind of started going back to school. And um, I, I didn't really like it. And here in Texas, they had, I heard about these, these GEDs you can get through the mail. And we'll come to find out in 2010, they all got shut down. They were called diploma mills. I didn't know about this. So I started applying to be a cop because I didn't really know what I want to do with my life here about six months ago. I was like, what the fuck do I want to do? So I started applying to be a cop. Then come to find out my GED is not even real. Oh, shit. So I don't even have a real GED. (laughs) She was a game from a fucking diploma mill that was shut down in 2010. (laughs) So I joined the military after getting this fake GED. I didn't know it was fake at the time, though. And they took me. And they didn't either. They took it in. No, they didn't know because back then it was... It was kind of like a tier. It was kind of, I think it was kind of as tier two. So I wasn't allowed to get a fat bonus, but it was during the surge in like 08, end of 07. So they're like, oh, fuck, we'll take everybody, you know? So that's, yeah. I kind of got lucky. That's a trip, man. Timing, yeah. Um, what uh, What was the difference in terms of your, the, the family dynamic when you moved in with your grandparents? Like, was your grandfather just like a noble, like he didn't take any shit and whip oh, your yeah. ass? He fucking... Mm. It wouldn't, wouldn't no, like, if I if I mouthed off or said something because I was a shithead, they straightened me out like really, and thank God they did. I actually just bought them a house about a month ago because they needed like they're just old, you know. And since they helped me when I was growing up, I just I bought them a house, a brand new one. They never had a new house before, so I bought them a new one. And he would do shit like uh, chain my car up, legitimately. <laughs> He'd fucking put a giant chain through the wheels yeah. and lock that some bitch up. You know, I just was done. Like they, they got me on the right path and then they were super jacked. And I was like, I'm going to join the military. Even though when I joined, I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do. I didn't even know what infantry was. Yeah. I had to look it up on YouTube. I don't know. That's no idea. Man. What, uh, what, what's their story or like what, you know, your grandparents, like what, uh, what's their, their About gig? Blue collars it gets. Yeah. They didn't have very much money. My grandpa worked construction his entire life. He was in the Navy, uh, early on, but construction, my grandma didn't really work very much, so they just had one income. They lived in a smaller house, a normal American house, I guess you'd say, you know, three-bedroom, yeah. two-bath type deal. And that was it. Yeah. Normal people. So when you when you first showed up, uh, did you have a chip on your shoulder? And he oh, I was a shithead. I was the worst person ever. Like, yeah. if, I, if I can look back in my I, – I, I, oh, my God. Like, I, if I see kids like that now – which we do see him. I see him every once in a while when I go out. I was like, man, I hope that kid, because the path I ended up was able to take is not the normal path. The kids in that, that, you know, they usually end up going to jail and that's pretty much it. Then they're fucked for life. Yeah. I just got real lucky. My grandparents took me in and then kind of put me out. Yeah. How did that, did that change your relationship with your mom, her son? And you yeah, there? of course. In a good way or? I don't know. I mean, we're not really close. I mean, I'm, they, they now all live in here in Texas in which they didn't before. They're all kind of close, so she's trying to like mend the relationship. But my grandparents are much closer with, I would assume, or yeah. say than my my mom. Yeah. Yeah. So you still still hang out with them quite a bit. Yeah, I see them every once in a while. Yeah. Um. So once you you moved in with them um, at fourteen, so you like, did you end up going back to school or just getting the GED through the mail? I tried to go back to school. Yeah, I went back to school, and then I ended up. So I'm telling like shithead. I ended up at an alternative school. So. 
Regular high school wasn't for me. I did like three months at a regular high school. And then I ended up at alternative school where, of course, one of those ones where they have metal detectors and shit like that. And I'm just with all the bad kids. So I was never really around. Even when I left, I was still somewhat around those kind of people, but I didn't involve myself in the the drugs or anything. Like that. We didn't touch it. I didn't do drugs, by the way. I didn't. That's a crazy part. I never did anything. Just sold them. I smoked weed like everybody else on history has done or yeah. in the world. Excuse me. I mean, yeah. I'm sure you have. Yeah. Everybody has. But I don't never touch any hard shit ever in my yeah. life. Um, did you like when you were with your mom and uh, when you moved in with your grandparents? Did, were there any sports or hobbies that played a, a significant role in your childhood? No, I was really good at baseball. Baseball. Oddly enough, I was actually really good at baseball, like really good. But then when mom and dad got a divorce, and that's pretty much what happened. I like, I don't know, just kind of got slipped through the cracks, and that's pretty much how I got to where I was. Well, yeah, I was really, I was actually really good at sports, yeah. really athletic. Did you play any uh, any baseball once you moved here to Texas? I did a little bit, but I then started going down the path of I need to find work. I'd rather go to work than play this sport, and that's pretty much what I ended up doing. I went to work construction, started working on cars for cash because I I needed money. I wasn't getting money from my mom or dad yeah. or my grandparents. They were just helping me with. Um, a car as long as I was in school, but then I wasn't in school. So now I had to figure out how to make money. Yeah, I got you. What are the two key components for canine success? That's effective training and proper nutrition. Fueled by Team Dog brings those two components to your family and best friend. The perfect nutritional balance that results in a higher mental acuity, energy, overall vitality, and even an improved appearance. Every product you will find in my company's store was born from the battlefield and not from the boardroom. Let my life's work help you become your dog's hero. Um, so what was the, the light switch that made you decide, you know what, the military is, uh, is the route. <laughs> so I was in a, I was up in Gainesville, Texas at a very, very tiny community college. Like when I mean tiny, I was like very tiny cause I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was trying to get a, a degree in criminal justice or I'll be, try to be a cop. And I was playing, I was pushing carts at Walmart. I was 18. So I was pushing carts at Walmart as a job. And I was playing blackjack on the side. That's all I was doing was gambling and pushing carts. That's all I was doing. Nothing else. And one day, hot as fuck, wearing my boots and my fucking Wranglers. I mean, just pushing those fucking shitty carts at Walmart will make you think, rethink your life. <laughs> and I was pushing them some bitches. And these two guys walked by wearing an army uniform. I was like, that's fucking cool. They were recruiters. I didn't know what they were at this time. And my buddy that was with me was in an ROTC program in Arkansas state at the time, but he had been kicked out for like doing some drinking or some shit. I don't know what he did, but he was in the same thing as me. He was a fuck up. And he's like, no, those are recruiters. I'm going to go talk to him. And then we literally joined the army at the same time. He took a different route, the route that I should have taken. We were talking about earlier. He went to bat airborne, did all that shit, ended up at Ranger bat. And then I went to the regular army side because I didn't know any different really. Yeah. So you, where did you go to boot camp? Fort Benning. And then uh, right into infantry after that? Yeah, I went in. Literally, I went to the regular army. Was there for like six months of my unit and then went to Iraq. And then I came back and then Afghanistan. But that was a completely different different rotation than the first one. So the uh, when you when you first went from boot camp to uh, to infantry, uh, your expectations of what, what you thought it would be versus what it was, how, how were they different, if at all? Ah... Uh, I didn't have any expectation of boot camp. I just knew they were going to yell at me. I don't fucking know. Yeah. 
Well, as far as infantry, same thing. Infantry was pretty. I mean, at the time, if I, at that time of my life, I thought it was brutal. You know, but I, I learned. I mean, we just like I don't know what it's like now. It's probably a bit different. But he, back then, it was just, we had started with I think it was like three hundred people. By like week four, we had eighty people quit, and they'd make all the quitters sit on the bench so you can watch them quit and that kind of shit. And I didn't realize why they were doing it at the time. And then when you get to your unit, you realize you try to weed out all the shitty people. Yeah, that's all they were doing. Yeah, I think that back then they did a pretty good job of weeding out most of the turds in that MOS at least. Yeah. The other MOSs I can't really. They're just paper pushers. So yeah. I mean, as far as what you uh, what you learned in infantry, as far as actual war uh, war fighting skills, um, it, it seems to me like a lot of on the more conventional side, like you, you don't really get all that much training before they're throwing you into mm, the fucking. You don't get much. Yeah. You learn like basic CQP bullshit. Uh, react to contact, you know, I mean, every, like you understand the basis behind react to contact, but it's like, you can only practice fucking, um, CQB, the same houses over and over and over and over. Like there's, it's just, it's really monotonous. And the thing is you have guys that are like piss poor trained at the, uh, regular side of the army. They're the regular infantrymen are, are kind of piss poor trained in comparison to the soft units, of course, because it's so smaller, you know, but then you have guys that are mediocrely trained, training guys on a lower level. So they never really get to, there's no real like max. Everybody's pretty much just, there's, there's a peak, I guess you would say, and they never really get past it Yeah, on the regular side for sure. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I mean, there's the, you know, the higher, level of training that the actual trainers have is obviously going to be proportionate to, uh, you know, the level that the, the end user ends up with. So, yeah, I mean, if the trainers aren't, unless they have a lot skilled. of deployment time, which when I was in, I was really fortunate. We're on cycles like crazy. So yeah. a lot of the guys that were in like nowadays, all hundred percent, I'm going to say of, of some infantry units, like legitimately, you probably have 95% of them that don't even have a CIB. Yeah. And when I was in, everybody had seen a lot of, especially back then it was a lot of Iraq and yeah. So everybody knew something. Yeah. They knew what fucking not to do. True. Um, and so you went to Iraq with that unit right away. Right yeah, I did of- like six months. That was almost bullshit. Waste of time I've ever had in my entire life of 12 months. I, fuck. Iraq was just, uh, it wasn't what you would, what what I thought it was going to be. This was late oh eight early. Yeah, on. it was like oh nine oh yeah. nine. It was it was stupid. ROEs were fucking insane. It it just was so political, so fucking political. It was just stupid. We handed out so much money. They would, ugh. Yeah, it was pointless. Yeah. But Afghanistan was a completely different story. So you came back uh, from that. Where did you go after after you got back from Iraq? I got back from Iraq, and then I decided I didn't want to be a normal line infantryman, so I tried out for sniper section, did that thing. I got selected over there, became a sniper team leader after a few months, went to school, um, passed school, which I'm not saying it's like a difficult school. It's just a very small school. You know, there's not like a lot of – the Army does not churn out very many snipers a year. I don't really – know why but they don't yeah it's like in a i can't recall how long it is i think it's like 12 weeks long or 15 weeks long i can't recall how long the school was but there was only like 25 of us really yeah you don't you don't turn out a lot and they only started with 50 yeah, that's crazy there's just not very many that they turn out a year yeah. and they do they do send um remote training units to like alaska or 
all over the nation. So, because it costs so much to get somebody there, yeah. I know they do that, but they they can't churn out more than a couple hundred a year, like legitimately. That's really surprising. I mean, uh, fuck the soft forces alone. I think crank out more than that. Oh, I you know? I don't doubt that. I know they do. Yeah, that's wild. Um, and and so it wasn't tough, but would you say that you uh, from a skill set standpoint that it was significant that you learned yeah. a lot? Yeah, it's. I would call it a gentleman's course because they're not there to because they know like the thing is about the sniper sections. Generally, the guys that are there are going to be the best ones in their unit. Yeah, they're going to be the most physically fit. They have. Like they're, that's the only unit that I know, or area of a unit that I know that's able to change the army standards of what PT needs to be. Like instead of being a two mile run, we had a five mile, like you had to be able to run five miles in under 35 minutes and just different type of standards that the, the regular army wouldn't have. So we knew that that when inside of that case back then, it was just, it was a gentleman course. I have shot, I shot so many fucking rounds that I've, I just got sick and tired of it. Yeah. You shoot a lot, yeah. but you get really like I was like back then when it was really, it's a, it's a, it's a skill you can, you know, it's perishable. It's perishable. Yeah. Like right now, I don't think I can do even nearly as good as I was, but I mean, we were doing shooting movers at 800 at night. Oh wow. Like it was nothing. Yeah. Like they got, we were really good. Yeah. And, and so from, uh, from there, once you graduated there, you said you started with 50 and 25 finished. Something like that. Yeah. Or so. Like I have the picture back at the house. I mean, it's not very many people. Yeah. And then, so from there, did you go back to the infantry unit or where did you go? I did. Yeah. I went back to there and then we stay on the headquarters. So now in a, in a, in the regular army as a, uh, you have say 1200 men in a infantry battalion. I guess now they have females too, but back then it was just men. So you have about 1200 and there's only nine of us. Snipers. And that's it. Yeah. So we were, the way it would work is they would, during a normal deployment, they would just task the sniper section to a whatever platoon inside of the, the companies that was in the most, that needed you at the time. So you would just, that's all you did. And that's why I got attached to those SEAL teams is because we, that's all I did with them. Yeah. And, and so the, when you first, you, so you get back there, you get, you're in headquarters, you're part of the sniper section. They start tasking you out. When you went on deployment, did you go with them? And then as soon as you got there, get, fished out to uh kind of yeah we didn't even know what we were doing so they when we landed i remember we landed in country and we had our our section and then everybody knew where they were going everybody did so they all went out to their their little camps i guess you would say and then we were sitting there for a little bit longer than everybody because they were trying to figure out exactly which team to stick us with so we got stuck both times with the shittiest fucking end of the stick, but it was, a, it was where I learned the most. I, I'm actually very fortunate. I got stuck with some of these guys because we always were like, we didn't sit on our, our ass. Like these guys were very, very proactive. Yeah. Like the seals were fucking proactive. Yeah. Like there wasn't like, oh, let's fucking react to content. No, let's, let's, let's actually induce content. Like let's make it happen. Yeah. You go out and pick fights. Yes. That's exactly what they fucking did. And yeah. sometimes they were fucking crazy. <laughs> Some of the shit, uh, wearing fucking bump helmets on some of the, I was like, fucking, like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. What, uh, where, where in the country were you at at the time? Um, with the SEALs, I was actually up north in Feriob province. It was in Feriob. And there's like these little sections or little pockets, I guess you would say, of uh, where the Taliban would, like, it was festering and growing in these little areas. And we would go through and, these villages hadn't been lived in for God knows how long. And 
these guys would go in and they'd fucking they'd want to pick a fight. That's yeah. all they would. That's literally all they would do. As they loved it, and I, I loved it. The first time, the very first major tick I was in was like four days in being in country or five days of or excuse me of being at that camp, and they didn't really know how to feel with us, which I understood. So they took um, the NCOs out with them. They didn't want anybody beneath. So it was just basically myself and a couple others. And that was pretty much it. We went out. They basically tested us to see how we'd react in a shitty environment, I felt like. And then we went out every single time. They never took anybody else. Oh, shit. That was it. They literally, uh, they, it was almost like a test run, I felt like. And they wanted to see how we'd react in these certain situations. And Yeah. Fucking litmus. It was, <laughs> it was cool, though. I mean, I'll tell you, we were fighting in Russian trenches on these fucking hillsides and I was telling you before this thing started, Pat was like the very first time Pat Feeks was literally sitting next to me talking to a fucking, a fast mover. We can see these guys moving in. They initiate contact on us. And I'm like sitting there because I'm like, what the fuck? This is really happening. I'm watching these fucking dudes bound at me wanting to kill us. And now they're shooting at us. And then and they initiate contact. And I forgot to leave this huge part out. We came through this, this really narrow choke point and it was in late february so everything was frozen we're in the hindu kush so everything's fucking frozen as shit we're driving on side by sides and then this is later on the day so the day thaws out all the ground starts thawing out these fucking uh, afghan sf guys in their fucking truck they're all loaded down heavy as shit drive through that same choke point and set off an absolutely fucking massive ied blew all of them up to shit all on the side of the hill they're spread out I'm like thinking to myself, like, what the fuck is going on? I have guys shooting me from this side. These guys just blew up over here. I didn't really, like, I was trying to like, I, you know what I mean? Like your very first time, like, what the fuck is going on? And Pat hit me so hard in the back of my head, like knocked some fucking sense. He said, shoot motherfucker. And he hit me so fucking hard. I was like, oh God, what do I got to do? I got to, okay. So I started grasp my berries. I started engaging the guy. And that was, that was that. But what, uh, what rifle did you have? At that time, I was actually carrying... That very first time, I was carrying an M24. Like, no shit. I carried an M24 out that day. Do you remember what ammo you had with you? Was it anything special? Yeah, yeah it, was, it was match grade 7.62, yeah. but it was, it was good for, the, for what I thought at the time was good. But after that day, and after they basically did their litmus test, you should say, they gave me a scar. Oh, okay. So I literally rotated out my M24 for a scar heavy, and that's all I carried the entire time, yeah. the rest of the time. Yeah, the scar has kind of a, a mixed... Um, set of emotions attached to it with guys it seems like most guys don't particularly like it within the soft community i thought it was great yeah i had a I had a long barrel on it it was i thought it was extremely accurate we used match grade ammo with it too yeah was it branded ammo or was it government issued shit that's a good question actually i don't recall i i'm gonna Man, I don't know. I yeah. really don't recall. Yeah, I, I, with them, who knows? I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one thing that I think uh, the U.S. military and Department of Defense are, um, I would say, woefully inadequate in terms of their, their ammo supply. And, and I, I get that, you know, the Geneva Conventions and, and ROEs tend to trump or dictate, you know, the types of some of the types of ammo, but I, I would think that there either needs to be should or or could be some sort of workaround to give our troops ammo that's at least you know this decade in terms of technology with you know some of the expanding rounds and hollow points i mean just like the the buffalo bore 77 grain uh for for regular m4s i think there's no reason that we shouldn't be using that i don't know why the fuck we're using green tip still <laughs> most guys are 
Yeah. Um, you know, or even worse using, you know, just ball ammo, you know, like fucking pistol, you know, nine millimeter ball ammo. I mean, it's I'm, good training ammo, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's good for, it's for hitting for, paper and yeah, metal to, to see where you're at and train with, but you know, in the, when you're going through soft tissue, like they should be using, you know, Winchester. I feel uh, like I want to say we're using Sierra match grade. So I think it was, yeah. um, God, it was coming out of Utah. Now I'm like, I'm trying to piece. I mean, this was 10 years ago, but I, yeah. I'm fairly confident it was Sierra. Yeah. I, I thought I, I could be wrong. Uh, some of the, the sniper and ballistics geeks that, uh, that are watching and listening right now, uh, can certainly correct me, but I, I want to say I, I think that there there was actual military, like in in, in the green ammo cans. It was match grade seven. No, we six, had it. Oh yeah, no, we had that. That, that. I don't know that it was branded by. by it's, anybody, it comes. But, it comes out of Utah. I do know that for a fact because each yeah. lot inside of our dope books, we would have to write down the lot numbers so the the rounds matched yeah. the same dope. Like I, I know that for a fact. The military has mass produced match grade, match grade. Yeah. but I I'm trying to recall back then. I don't know if we were using the stuff in the green cans or if we were using like civilian styled like Sierra. Like I don't recall. I really don't recall. Yeah. But yeah, I guess my point is, I mean, there, you know, whether it's spear gold dot or federal HST yeah. or like the Winchester, I think it's Ranger. Uh, th there's so many good rounds out there that, uh, that I think we should be using that would just make a much bigger Dude, difference. We, but. we have a badass 50 cal round. We used, we call it the mini Sabo round. That thing was a shit. It was scary yeah. as fuck. I mean, <laughs> what uh, what was the gist like, of it? Dude, it was like you know, like a, a Abrams Sabo round. Mm -hmm. So the outside would have like this hard plastic around. So instead of it being like a a lead head type deal, around the end of it, there'd be one like titanium or steel rod in the center of it, but it'd be encased by plastic. So when it came through, the plastic would shred off, and then you'd have this long metal rod that would literally go like go through everything. Yeah. Was that uh, red with a gold tip? It, well, when I was in, it was legitimately clear. Oh no shit! It was clear and it was so fucking sharp. You could you could you could kill somebody by stabbing really? them with it. God damn! It was like a little mini, like I called them the mini, the little mini stable rounds because we would use them to shoot through cars and everything. Just fucking light everything. Oh god! Yeah. Like I was like one time the entire nine months in Afghanistan, I used the fifty cal to engage somebody. One time. One time. Well, fuck! You got to share that story. One time. The, the no shit, so there I was story. Go but go. fucking blew my fucking brains out. I feel like I probably got a TBI after that shit. But what, uh, what was the circumstance that led up to you using it? That was over in uh, Pakistan border when we were, we, we went over there to cut off the drug and gun routes that were coming across. And we'd set up a, a camp in a small collot, very small collot. There was 22 of us. And every day for the first like month, we would get hit every fucking day we'd literally just kind of wait we'd go we'd we literally built this thing up from the ground up with literally like nothing and i just remember i was like fuck it's gonna happen so i'm like we're all hanging gathering around or waiting it for it to happen and then that time i just was like fuck i'm gonna grab the 50 gal this time so i grabbed it went up top and i just recall the guys that were trying to because they kept hitting us i guess a little backstory they kept hitting us with very good indirect fire like it kept getting really accurate. So I was like, fuck this. I'm going to grab this thing because I might be able to finally engage somebody that's actually doing this at a far, because that's a little bit farther out for us. And I finally did. They saw the guys that were hitting us with the mortar rounds and they loaded up on a bike. And that's when I just started sending rounds. But I'll tell you right now, didn't hit fucking anything. <laughs> I know that for a fact. Because that first round I shot, of course, I shot the rest of the mag out. That first round I shot, not only did I rock my fucking brain to shit, 
but I rocked everybody's around me. Yeah. And the fucking dust cloud I've sent off was like, <laughs> I couldn't see anything. Yeah. So that was the one and only time I used it was to send rounds at somebody on a bike. For sure didn't hit them. And at least I got to say I did it, but it was stupid because we also had a had one of those Air Force steel pallets above us. So the concussion from that thing, I feel like someone hit me in the back of the head with a log. Yeah. God damn. That's fucking brutal. Um, all right, so going back to that that first uh gunfight that you got into where yeah. uh Feeks hit you in the back of the head yeah. from from yeah. there um did, did, were you, you you actually engaged in, in I did uh, engage some KIAs there or? on that one no <clears throat> that one I I did not um I ended up being P- Feeks's bitch after I had shot about a half a mag cuz his batteries <clears throat> cuz you know in Afghanistan just anywhere anywhere your your radios are fucking up trying to he's trying to talk and the birds are way more important and me sitting there engaging one person. So I then started running up and down this hill trying to fit. We were trying to figure out what was going on with his, um, it wasn't an embitter. It was a, uh, the green, I can see the name of the logo right now. A PRC something. It's like a sat phone type deal. Oh, I, gotcha. I could see it, but I, I can't remember the name of the, the company around. It doesn't really matter, but I could, uh, I was trying to, we're trying to figure out which one he had spare one down on the truck. And we're just, we're trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. So I was running up and down the side of this hill and it was late February, had no snivel gear whatsoever, nothing. We weren't planning on staying out there either. So not only am I sweating my fucking ass off and running up down this fucking side of this, this massive hill in Afghanistan in these trench systems. Now we're waiting for the, the tick calls down or calms down. And now we're waiting for nighttime and I'm realizing I'm going to be cold as fuck. <laughs> this is going to be brutal. Start snowing sideways on us. Windy as fuck. I had no snivel gear. So I start opening up all the MREs I could possibly find. And I'm shoving MRE heaters all inside my shirt <laughs> trying to stay warm. And it's burning my fucking skin. I'm just struggling like crazy. crazy. And uh, <laughs> that next morning, see, I, I got so many like stupid, like bigger, like I remember like, not like a lot of the smaller ticks, but I've got like a handful of really, like I remember some of the bigger ticks. And the next morning, me and one of the other seals were like, oh, we got to take a shit. <laughs> This is so stupid. This is so stupid. So we're like, all right, let's go take a shit. I still can't believe I did this to this day. This is young and dumb me. Left all my gear. Took off my fucking vest. For some reason, that vest that I had with two plates was too fucking heavy. Leave it there and my helmet there. And I even left my my fucking rifle there. For some reason. So did he. Why did we do that? I don't know. We could hear... So we can hear through ICOM chatter that they were maneuvering on our position. So we, we knew we could see them and they're too far to engage. So we want them to come in as close as we can before engaging them or calling birds. Cause right when you call birds, they just bounce. So we just waited. Let's go take a shit. So me and me and him go take a shit and we're on, we're on our way back. And this is me being dumb and new. I'm on top of this ridgeline walking like a fucking idiot with nothing walking <laughs> and they, and all I hear is it fucking hits the fucking dirt around. Oh, fuck. Turn left and dive head first off the side of this thing. I just slide. They initiated contact on me and his dumb ass walking on top of the fucking hill. Holy fuck. And it was one of those moments where you're like, holy fuck, what is going on? And we can still hear the fucking rounds going off over the top of us. And then he looks at me. He just starts laughing. He said, we're so fucking stupid. What the fuck were we doing? I was like, I don't know what the fuck I'm new. I don't know what the fuck is going on. God, how far away were you taking a shit from where your rifle? Too far. Yeah. Way too far. Like hundreds of yards? <laughs> like way over a hundred yards, yeah. I don't really know why. I was just following him, you know. He's like yeah. fucking, his name is Josh, actually. And Josh is a uh, 
See, it was a SEAL Team Three guy, but he was out of uh, he's out of he's one of the big like what does he do now? CrossFit. He's like one of the he won CrossFit Guy of the Year. What some Bridges? shit? Yeah, Josh Bridges. Oh shit! Yeah, who? That's him. <laughs> Dude, me that's and Bridges. A fucking trip. Yeah, he he was the one that was with me. He was yeah, the fucking handlebar mustache. Guy. Yeah, he looked like a fucking pirate. Yeah, that's a fucking trip. Yeah, you dude. know him too. I, I actually don't know. I mean, I've talked to him a couple of times. Talked about having him on the show and and just that's never funny. never made it happen. Yeah, Bridges. Yeah, that's yeah. a fucking trip, man. See, I know all those guys. Yeah. This is kind of crazy. You know, you probably know some of the other guys too. Yeah. That's weird. God, what a fucking small world. Uh, Mac, you know Mac from that from back then. Uh, Mac's a crazy motherfucker, redheaded kind of guy. Uh, officer. I think he was, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. Motherfucker would wear a um, yeah, well, bump helmet out, crazier and shit. Yeah, I don't want to say his first name. He's, I don't think he's still active, but I know <laughs> he's he's pretty private. I don't say his first name. Okay. Yeah, um, no, that's fucking wild, man. <laughs> um, so so once you get back uh, from taking a shit, you get your shit back on, did you guys mix it up with him at that point? Or? Yeah, yeah. Meet, one of the guys we call Meet, he was, so we had a, one of the, we were testing out uh, a, these two doom buggies at the time too. We were yeah. like, they're testing, we're trying to figure out, and they were, they were whatever. But we had a uh, 50 cal mounted on the back of a Doom buggy and an automatic, an ALGL, I think, like some type of automatic grenade launcher. And they just fucking sent it. They yeah. just did like almost an expenditure of ammo at them. And then we, we got back to where we were doing and continued to do when I think we shot like fucking me and him shot 10 Carl G's rounds that day at him. Every time he shot him, I had held my, I just remember holding my ball sack because the first two, I was like, I felt like someone was kicking me in the fucking nuts because I was, because he was holding them. I was, he would, I would do the whole loading process for him and he would just keep sending the rounds. So every time I remember, fuck, that dude just kicked me right in the sack. Yeah. The the Carl Gustav is, uh, I mean, that's a badass. I love it. Rocket, no no doubt about it. I, myself and uh, a guy I've actually had on the show, uh, you know, my best friend Shane, he and I were the Gustav gunners on that deployment. And, and, uh, you know, I remember doing some, uh, we did some IADs, immediate action drills with them where we would fire and maneuver shooting fucking Carl Gustavs and having (laughs) to carry that. And, and, you know, they're seven pounds around and, you know, moving in teams, trying to load, load and fire that while we're doing kind uh, of difficult. It's kind of a bulky bastard too. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it it works. Yeah. I mean, carrying it in and out. I mean, to me, it's the rounds, right? I mean, if you're carrying four rounds, it's 30 pounds, 30 fucking pounds of shit. Um, you know, and then the gun is like fucking nine or we had so many rounds though. Because we would strap, you know, they came in those two tube deals. Yeah. We were had these things fucking str- like strapped, like built. These fucking side by sides were built to hold like four of them, or excuse me, like eight of them a piece. Yeah. So we'd have, do we had like a fuck load of like yeah. you're not going to run out of college year rounds with yeah. us. Well, so the the interesting thing with that, you're only the military guideline or statute is that you're only supposed to fire four of those in a 24 hour period because of the concussion. Oh shit. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean that, so that's actually how I found out that I had Valley fever, a, a lung, a lung disease was that I, I was the range safety officer for what the fuck? a seal seal uh, <laughs> qualification training class where we shot like 60 of them. Like I, I was the, the RSO for 60 of them being shot. So I'm, I'm kneeling down right next to them. Oh and uh, yeah, and, and I ended up having to go to the fucking hospital afterwards. And I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, yeah, you're only supposed to shoot four of them. But, Was it? <laughs> or at least back then you were. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's different now. But, no, that's uh, what we shot. Yeah, we shot ten in like yeah. fucking five minutes or four yeah. minutes or some shit. Yeah, shit's brutal. But uh, did you get? Did you? Uh, actually hit anything with him i don't know i was a loader yeah. <laughs> i wasn't shooting him yeah. he was shooting him yeah, yeah he was sending him out uh, i mean he was definitely accurate because when he started shooting those is when their fire stopped yeah yeah 
I oh, know they're, they're fucking brutal, and I, I love that there's that they have so many rounds for. Well, them. Shet that, rounds was awesome. Yeah, and that that uh, <laughs> high explosive dual purpose round. It's like fucking yeah. man, that's three, crazy. Yeah, you were the guy that, that must have started everything with that. I was just the idiot reloading for another yeah. guy. That's oh, a trip, man. Um, all right, so how long was that whole deployment? That one was that that Afghan that tour was nine. That one was nine months. That rotation nine months. was nine months. And are there are there any any other big firefights oh, yeah. or operations that stick out that inside you, of that inside of that deployment? Oh, yeah. sorry, yeah, inside of that one. Yeah, what? Uh, Hell yeah, there was a whole bunch. A there was a whole bunch. Yeah, there was. <laughs> I guess some funny ones is like, so we were doing split ops. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we had a A team and B team, and we were on the we were B team, so we we just rotate. Every single time uh, when something big would happen, one would say back and be QRF essentially, you know. And then we we're doing a clearing op of this village. That was, of course, it was horrendous. It was real shitty. And it was actually one of the more, it was the first time that we actually had to deal with a CQB style uh, clearing, like a real, like they were literally having to go house to house, like the, one of the first ones of that deployment. And I recall QRF got spun up. So me and my guys started doing all our shit. And this is the first time they needed refitted of grenades. Like they asked for a refit of grenades. So we started, everybody's all hands on deck, fucking stripping and prepping grenades and taping them and doing all the bullshit. And the bird gets there and it's coming. It happened so quick that we're loading all this shit up and we're doing like comms check on the bird over there, like trying to fucking get everybody in sync. And of course, no one's ever fucking on the right fucking channels. <laughs> I, I remember that. Like, Pat's in there. I like, are you? I'm like, I can't fucking hear you. My ear. And then uh, we finally get it figured out before we get there. But we, <laughs> this is, we land and there's a pile of body bags. I'm like, oh fuck, this is pretty bad. What the fuck is this? We can do all these body bags. Why is there all these? Like, you don't know what's happening because you haven't been able to hear anything. You just land and you just know it's really fucking bad. They had this this. They had like a hundred fucking men from this village gathered up in this fucking collot and there's probably 10 body bags that are, I don't know who's in them. I don't know what they're filled with, but the LT looks, looks at me and he goes, give me your, your more, your most junior guy. I said, okay, here he is. <laughs> and this guy's first time riding in a helicopter. He was so fucking excited to go out. He's like, I'm going <laughs> to fucking do something. He had to go watch body bags. Oh shit! So he had to load all the body bags onto the bird, oh, go man. fly him back and then go sit with him for three days. Holy shit. Who, who were in them? It was, uh, no Americans. It was like Afghan, uh, female civilians and children and, or not children, but there was female civilians and there was, um, Afghan SF guys. Oh, no shit. So all the Taliban guys that were dead, we let them lay. We didn't, we didn't pick any of them up, of course. Um, I mean, we didn't know if they were rigged or not. I mean, I don't know. This wasn't our job, but we we picked up all the civilians and the uh, the guys that were attached to us. Yeah. But yeah, it was a handful of body bags he threw in there and we got to ride with them. And we, I remember we went through that whole village and did the whole thing, you know, checked to make sure every single dude that was killed was actually dead. And that was my first time actually actually doing that. You know, you train for these weird exercises like, oh, you got to make sure the guy's actually dead, not playing dead type scenario. I'm sure you've done that a million times. Or, you know what I'm talking about? And where you yeah. walk through and either kick him in the nuts or step on him in a certain area or poke him. And yeah. you know what I mean? Just make sure they're, they're, they're actually dead. Um, first time we actually, I actually had to experience that and watch somebody do it. And I was like, it's kind of weird. That was kind of the weird, my first weird, like up close and personal with a bunch of dead people. Yeah. Well, we did sift through a bunch of, bunch of houses and that's when i realized that they were doing a lot of drugs over there i hadn't realized how many drugs they were doing 
like a lot of drugs they were shooting up. Like I didn't realize they were doing that much. And I'm really glad I had gloves on. Uh, but that whole day we moved through there and did you ever run into any, anybody that wasn't dead that was pretending to be dead? No, never. I never did. No, uh, just, we, I mean, I think, I think in that, the, just, just with the seals in the four months we killed, I think they had like a running total, like 80, 84, I think is what it was. Like that we really did went through there and mop up some of the really bad guys. Yeah. They did a good job. Of course we had, there were civilian casualties, of course, but it wasn't something we were trying to do. Yeah. Um, but. And in, uh, in some of those operations, were there any, uh, from a kind of tit for tat standpoint where you guys, uh, had your hands full? Like were there, were there ever ones where I it mean, was almost uh, too, um, yeah. Yeah. There was, this gives me goosebumps. It's like the first time I, the first time I ever killed somebody was one of those scenarios. Can you, uh, it was really walk us through that. Oh yeah. It was, it was, it was one of those kind of situations. Like I was down to three rounds. Like we fucking were black, black on ammo. And we wanted this area, uh, to clear it just like we always had before. And we had some squirters we were moving in the back side of these hills because we know if we came in the front side where it was a little easier to to get in, they would easily spin up and we wanted to try to surprise them essentially. Um what was that the nature of the the overall mission or what what was the, the clearing. clearing. We we're just clearing, just clearing trying to create more white space. Yeah. That was our goal is let's create white space, bring these villages back to these civilians so they can actually live in them again. Yeah. Because I couldn't live in them. They were riddled with IEDs and shit like that. But I recall this one. It was, uh, I remember the hills looking up. We're coming on the backside of these things, and these men were working in these fields, and they started running right when they saw us. Like, fuck, fuck. Instantly, they dropped their shit and just took off. And, of course, we wanted to try to pick up as many escorters as we could. But I remember a couple of them did get away because they were farther off, and they did they did peel around the end of the draw and got around and, and got into the village. And I remember a couple of the seals, one of the bigger ones, he was a big motherfucker, scooped these guys up. There was a couple of y'all who were huge, like just jacked as fuck. And scooped these guys up, bagged them, tagged them, tried to figure out what they were doing, moved them off of the way. And I remember looking up this fucking hill and I'm thinking, oh my God, I got to climb up this son of a bitch to get high ground. Fuck me. <laughs> okay. So I remember taking a deep breath. It legitimately took us about 30 minutes plus to get up this hill. I think when everybody there is an exceptionally, it's like we're all in very, very good shape. Yeah. And we're not heading, we're not loaded down real light or real heavy either. Uh, one of the guys had actually rolled a side by side down the hill, dislocated his shoulder. So he was carrying his, at the time, I think it was a 48 with one arm, but he was a huge motherfucker. And he was carrying that up. And I remember we're looking across his hills and the radio comms a little bit difficult because the the amount of iron ore or whatever content that's in there was kind of jacking up signals. And I look across and there there's all of us are spread real thin along this this ridge line. And I look down over here and there's another element of us <clears throat> moving up this hill. There's three seals and three seals on this side, and then down on even farther was another one of those gentlemen with a buddy of mine named Benji. And they were they were a bit too far for comfort for me, like personally, because I was looking, I was like, they're a little kind of separated. I don't think they realize how, one of those kind of situations, I don't think they realize how separated they are from the main element. And I'm trying to get a hold of them and I can actually talk to them. So I could talk to them who are farther away. I don't know how to do line of sight, but I couldn't, they couldn't talk to the element between us. It just didn't work, but I could talk to the LT and the LT couldn't talk to them. 
So I was almost like me and uh, um, Keating were like the fucking, the guys that could only have a conversation. It was really weird. Yeah. And as I'm looking through here, we can see the entire town, all of the uh, women and children are starting to peel off. They're starting to leave. So we know what's about to happen. Like we know we're all sitting there prepping. Like it's about to fucking kick off. Like we know it's going to happen. And I see these two guys, there's two hills like this. And I'll never forget this because there's, um, they came running across like this and they start going up the backside of this hill. And uh, I couldn't, I couldn't talk to the seals in the, that are on this hilltop right here and couldn't tell them that they're about to link up and literally meet. If they kept going, they're about to meet at the top of the hill with Taliban. Like they're literally coming up like this. It's not a very big hill. It's like a fucking mound. Yeah. So that's when we realized that we needed to actually initiate gate. Like we needed to engage because I could see the guys. This is the first time I'm like, what the fuck? Like no one else can see this shit, but it's me and, and, and Feeks or excuse me, uh, Keating or Sinra. Like no one else can see what's going on. These guys are crawling up the backside of this fucking hill and he's, he's, wearing his mans and he's got a fucking AK he's fucking just getting it. So it's the first time fucking he just goes, starts sending rounds and I've never seen somebody kill three people so fast. Then Keating did. Yeah. yeah. Like fast. And right when he shot the entire fucking village down below exploded on us. Holy, it gives me goosebumps thinking about it. Like what I mean, like fucking on us, like, cause we like on us, holy fucking shit. It was the worst fucking like actual fire. I think we received that entire deployment because it was fucking like on, like it was pretty bad. And at this time, we couldn't really tell what was going on, but they engaged the two guys I told you that were way too far off and they were fucking pinned down like a motherfucker. And this is at the same time, this was, this was going on. Benji was a buddy of mine. They were pinned down by a sniper fire and we couldn't engage a sniper. No one could see the sniper. No one had no idea where he was, but he was actively, he could see them and he was shooting at them. And I remember them coming over the radio and I could tell they're really like, they're usually real calm guys, but this was like one of the first times I heard them like, we're fucked. Like we need help really bad, but he couldn't do anything. So they were in this situation about five minutes and Benji, they started doing this random shit that you would see in like movies, like they would take their helmet on, like bring it up over to like try to get them to shoot at it so they can try to figure out where he's at. And they finally do this. And the gentleman we spoke about earlier figured out where this guy was shooting at to then engage him. So then Benji legitimately did a, like a, a burpee, literally did a fucking burpee, had the guy shoot at him to engage. And then the other seal literally fucking took out the, the sniper at the same time. Like this, we were, this was a, like what you talk about chaotic moment that's going on, all this shit's going on. And they're still engaging us like a motherfucker from the village. The village. Then at the same time, this is when I, I actually got to finally shoot at something or an individual that I, I could see instead of, cause I was the one that was helping. Oh, I was helping Keating engage his guys and also like he was shooting and actively shooting so fast that he needed to reload ammo. Yeah. So I was literally reloading his mags with some of my shit real quick and helping him walk on target on these other guys. And I seen another gentleman coming through and he was wearing all black. And this was cause we already knew how far he was. We had ranged this entire area and he was 1170 out and he came peeling through and he was going directly towards the guys we could not fucking talk to. And I remember I stood up and fucking, I was never, people say one shot, one kill bullshit. That's not real. It's one shot, good correction, keep sending. 
That's pretty much what I did. I remember it was about three shots later. This guy, he was on like a full fucking movement, like quarter facing me, and he just ate shit dirt. That was the first time I ever killed somebody. He's 1,170 meters out. Oh, shit. And he was running towards those guys that we couldn't talk to. It was that same situation. Those seals on that hill had no idea how many guys were actually coming to them because they couldn't see on the backside. Do you have any idea ballpark of how many there were? On the, on the backside of that hill? Yeah. We killed five guys on the backside of that hill that day. As far as the but the village coming towards them? Or- oh, no. I, that day, if I remember correctly, because we all smoked cigars afterwards, I think the kill count came to about 15 in that one engagement. Wow. But it was, well, I mean, like, like we all ran out. We were black on ammo. Like yeah. we had to call for air support to get us out of there, like to follow us out. Cause we hadn't, we had no, literally no ammo. God damn. That's a fucking trip. Yeah. It was crazy. That was, that was the most heavily engaged day of the entire trip. We did some other really, I guess you'd say for a normal deployment, really crazy deploy or uh, firefights, but that one right there. Cause I remember I had to stood like, it was just, I stood up during while we were taking fire to draw. Like it was just, Fucking madness. Yeah. It gets me kind of jittery just thinking about it, honestly. Kind of, I don't know if, like, I feel like my, yeah. I started sweating right here. Oh, I can see it. Uh, so the guy you dropped was 1170. 1170, yeah. I got a tattoo to my arm. Is that the, I'm assuming the longest shot you, you the got? longest kill shot I ever had you was 1170. That's yeah, I had a fucking, it. Yeah, see right there. MCLXX. That's no, uh, that's no joke. And that was with felt, the scar with the, uh, that was a scar, yeah. And it felt pretty good. I actually got a, uh, I got a little fucking one of these coins for it too. Felt <laughs> oh, good <sure>. about it. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome, but that man. that was one of our our moments when that that team actually really took us in, and, and we were like kind of like one of those. Like I wasn't clear I wasn't a seal, but I was like one of their. They yeah. could trust that I was there with them. And I was there with them to fucking yeah. Was it one platoon of seals that you were with, or were there? More? Yeah, I think it was one platoon, and they were running split ops. Okay. Um. They were really good at their job. I'm going to be like, they were really phenomenal. They, they, they were probably, they would probably be a lot better in an urban environment than in the entire environment we were in. Yeah. And cause they were so good at C, like CQB is yeah. scary. Like yeah. they just scary. How good that like, you don't want them fucking around in your house. That <laughs> yeah. Right now. yeah. No shit. Um, but yeah, we did a whole bunch of shit. We dropped, Oh man, I mean, I don't know if you like enjoy these stories, but one night we dropped five tons of five hundred pounders. We only got approved for one. They dropped like seven. <laughs> <laughs> what was the uh, was it the same kind of thing? Were most of the uh, the operations that you were doing for that entire deployment all kind of the same thing of of trying to take these villages back? Or, yeah, or except when I went out to east with the seals, we were trying to do clear white space and and take back ground uh, for the civilian population, and out east. It was, it was like we hit a fucking hornet's nest with a baseball bat. It was. Is that where you dropped the uh, 500 pounds? No, that was in Ferry Ob still. We dropped the five. I didn't, I mean, I didn't drop them. I didn't, I don't have the authority to drop those. Of course. So if, if you can tell that story quick and then we'll talk about. Yeah, no, the 500 pounders were just out one night and then we were just doing the same thing we always did. They were going down to clear a fucking village. And this was one of the, the most heavily prepared fucking operations I've ever seen over there. Like we had different levels of air support and not just, we always had different levels, of course, but all of them were on station. Like an AC-130 was on station. An AC-130 shot that night. Like everything was on station and everything was used that night. Wow. I've never seen, like, cause I've seen AC-130s during the day. And at the same as night, nighttime, it literally goes from pitch black to sun. Yeah. 
too dark, too sun again, too dark, too like it was fucking nuts. Yeah. Um, but they were just doing clearing, trying to get back. There was a there was a fifty count some nods that had been lost by the fucking uh, what was it the National Guard. So we had intel that they was inside that village, so we needed to go back and get it from them. Of course, we dropped five, a couple or seven 500 pounders. One of them didn't go off. So that's why he really got in trouble because one of them didn't go off. Then we had to go out and get it and, and, blow, it. and blow it in place. But yeah, um, that one wasn't super crazy, but that was the first time I got to watch AC-130 really. And, and I'm sitting on this hill because I have no reason to engage because we have elements on the ground. And I'm just kind of making sure no squirters come up this way. So I'm literally just got to watch. A fucking, I get to watch our element move through the valley and watch the Taliban and shitheads push back. And they, and it's like watching a fucking movie. <laughs> so I'll get to watch. I'm sitting up there just watching. We're all literally just hanging out, just watching yeah. the shit go down. Yeah, there, there were times in Iraq where, uh, where we got to see that because we were with um, the 1st Marine Division ultimately and then uh, with the 15th uh, Mu at, at different uh, points. And yeah, there were, there were different points throughout the, that deployment where um, it, yeah, it was like having box seats at a, at a war. It was like, just, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, all, it was so fucking surreal. Just, you know, watching AC one thirties and, and helicopters and fucking, you know, LARs and LAVs and columns of fucking Marines and, and shit battling it out right in front of you. It's just like, dude, how is this even fucking happening? Yeah, it was crazy. I love it. And then the war dog comes on station. Yeah. I loved hearing those things. Yeah. We had the C one thirty, C one thirty bail our ass out one night. Uh, just just south of Tecrete when we got ambushed, which was awesome. Our comm guy got got that motherfucker on station like in less than a minute. And, oh, jeez, uh, yeah, that was amazing. But um, God, you got lucky. He was even on station then. Yeah, I mean, he he was there. Uh, they, they were there for us anyway. Um, you know, oh, were but, they? But okay. Yeah, our comm guy got uh, <laughs> got got them to where they were ready to roll, and, and I think it was like ninety seconds or some fucking. That's crazy. crazy. That's great. Yeah, but um, all right, so. You, you end up heading out east, uh, yeah. and you characterized it as hitting a, a hornet's nest with a baseball bat. What was the, the synopsis of the, the mission set at that point? I'll give you a little background of that. So we literally got sent over to the eastern side uh, with no, no inclination of exactly what – like we had no idea what we were going to do. What we were going to – like I remember sitting inside the, uh, the talk or whatever, and I, they were giving us a briefing of what we're going to be doing. I'm like, fuck this sound. This sounds terrible. Like, what the, what the fuck are we doing? Why are we doing this? We got four months left or five months. Like what, why, why am I, what the fuck? Why are we heading this thing up? So what was the gist of it? So two years ago or two years prior to that, there was an army base that had been ran overran and no one had been down there in about two years. I didn't like, man, they had their Intel to saying that they were moving so many drugs and, and guns across the border right there in, in Pakistan. And they wanted us to go fucking cut off the routes. And I'll tell you right now, they did not like us cutting these routes off or getting down in there. Holy yeah. shit. Did they not like it? Um, like I said, we took over this collot. I remember driving by that base that got overran. It was, it gave me chills. Cause it's like, fuck, we're going even farther South now. And there's 22 of us. Like, what the fuck are we doing? Uh, we had to offload anything that wasn't ammo and, and this food, like we, I had, I think I brought down there two pairs of socks, two pairs of like, or excuse me, two pairs of uh, pants, two, two tops. And all I had was socks and undershirts. And that was it. Like in ammo. That's all we had. How long were you supposed to be there for? Till the end of the deployment. Oh, wow. And it was fucking, it was brutal. What I mean, we had, 
So out when I was with the seals, the seals are really good at like comfort. Yeah. They like their fucking like Hollywood, you know, they like their comfort and they got it, which is great. I loved it. Fucking when, I was, <laughs> when I was with the, the SF guys, comfort wasn't a thing. So we went down to this place and moon dust to this high. Um, they knew we were already coming in there. We had sent the dog in. They found like two, two mines at the time or three mines. The thing was already rigged. Uh, two days after being there, we had actually rolled over two more mines that didn't go off with the skid steer as trying to build shit. Uh, we had to build out our own shitters, which was basically a hole in the ground. We didn't have showers for three months. Didn't I, you guys get like fucking ringworm or like any it was bad. crazy? Cause no, I didn't. I didn't. You can because we're not allowed to like shower yeah. with a certain kind of water there. Yeah. And the, the 18 Delta that was there was very fucking picky about yeah. taking the water from the ground, putting bleach in it, letting it sit in the, yeah. the sun for a certain amount of time. That's what we did. We literally had to live like that. Yeah. It was weird. Yeah, we, we we did about a six six or seven week uh, stint of of no showers and uh, it's terrible. Yeah, I, I got ringworm. So oh, did several you? of us did. Yeah, oh shit! Gnarly. No, I, yeah. I didn't get ringworm, but oh man, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I guess we could have got it really bad. But we, at least I think the medic did a pretty good job of making sure the water that we were doing to clean ourselves with yeah was pretty good. But I remember there was a time because we had to fill up all the sandbags by hand, and it wasn't like having a bunch of privates do this. Like you have E5s, E6s, E7, E8s, uh, fucking warrant officer. Everybody's out there filling sandbags because we had nobody else to do it. So we literally were all filling sandbags and we build these these makeshift towers. And every day for about a month or so, three weeks, like every fucking day, they hit us while we're trying to build out this shit every fucking day. Every day. Was it uh, predictable, it, like same time? Or same time it, frame, yeah. yeah. But it they did probing attacks at the beginning to try to figure out what kind of strength we had inside this this collot it kind of kept like the first one they got a little too close they didn't realize that we we're a bunch of guys that have been there actually doing shit for they didn't realize that we we're actually pretty decent at our job yeah we killed a few of them and uh then they came back the next night with a lot more guys and a lot more fucking machine guns and then it got even worse and then by like day four they had fucking a dish on the back of a truck and then they brought the mortars and then they brought the recoilless rifle rounds. They just kept getting, because like I said, they were on that drug and gun route coming in from Pakistan. So the free flow of ammo for them and supplies was very easy. Mm. And we also had some intel that they had a couple, um, we were we were actually looking for a, uh, I think it's called a Zuzu. What the fuck is it called? I can't remember right now, but it's an anti-aircraft gun. Do you know what I'm talking about? I can't remember the name of it. They sit in it. Yeah, I don't. And it rotates and it has two barrels. I'm familiar with what you're talking about. I, can't I don't remember know what the they're name called. It doesn't really matter, but there was apparently one of those in our areas. But every single day it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And for instance, a, a dishka round, I know you know what they sound like flying over you. They're one of the most, they'll, they'll make you want to shit your pants. Mm. So scary. It sounds like a fucking rocket or a mist, like shh. It doesn't sound like a normal fucking bullet. And they kept getting better and better and better. I remember one time I was sitting up on the tower and uh, I was with one of the other snipers and we were just engaging this building. No one lived in it uh, to make sure our zero was correct. Like we were just up there just shooting. It was like fucking one in the afternoon. We we're just making sure our shit's right. And uh, all of a sudden fucking thousand yards out there. All we see is out of nowhere. What the fuck was that? What is it? What the fuck was that? It was, like, well, what? we didn't hear anything. 
Oh, wow. We didn't hear incoming. We didn't hear a round coming down like you'd hear a normal mortar round. Could have been an IED because it exploded like this. It didn't go up. So I'm like, okay. And then all of a sudden, it got everybody's attention that's on that little camp. So now everybody's wanting to come up there and look. Like, what the fuck was that? And then another one comes in. And it's a little bit more online and closer. What the fuck? Now it's like 700 yards out. What the These like 105s or what? They were using some type of some type of rocket. And we, we ended up actually uh, killing them the next day and taking all the shit from them. We got super lucky, but they had, they were taking some type of recoilless rifle round or some shit or some type of rocket. And they were holding it with a level and they were trying to figure out how far and how close they can get through these Wadi systems. But they got within like 500 yards and they were bracketing and again, dude, it made us so scared because now they have us, they have a line and they dropped about five rounds, but they hit the max effective range. They just kept hitting them in the same spot. We couldn't do anything about it because we couldn't, couldn't do anything. The closest was 500 yards. 500 that day. So I'm like, fuck me. But these are big rounds. So I'm like, fuck, I don't know. I don't know what, but it could have been a 105. I don't know what the fuck it was, to be honest with you. But the next day, we were a little bit proactive, and an element of our guys had got word that they were setting up uh, to try to take or come after our, our, our camp at the time. So they proactively went out there and they caught them with their pants down. We got super fucking lucky. They came up over a fucking a hill from a wadi up over a hill. And when they went on top of it, all those Taliban shitheads were down in the base of this fucking valley and they legit had no time to react. And they just hit them with the fucking 203s and, or uh, Mark, Mark 19s, excuse me, from the back of these trucks and just, they killed a few of the dudes, but then we actually were able to to take a dishka. We took a fucking dishka from them, a bunch of rounds, uh, a couple RPGs, a bunch of the fucking ammunition. So we got a whole bunch of shit from that. But then we put the dishka inside of our tower. Oh, no shit. So yeah, we had a, inside this one corner, we had a, a tree line that went off. And this tree line was causing us a fuckload of problems every day. So later on in the, the uh, end of that deployment, we ended up taking debt cord and saying, fuck these trees. And just took them all down because they were causing us. They were causing us so much issues. But at this time, we didn't have that, so we uh, had a forty-eight, a two-forty, and a dishka, all in one one small tower where like four people can fit. And there's there was a there was during Ramadan, so I think it was in August. I think it's when Ramadan is. I think it's August. Anyway, it's hot as shit. One of my guys was up there, so I wanted to go make sure he was not doing what he was doing, and he was legitimately sitting down on his fucking ass smoking a cigarette not looking at the tree line he's supposed to. And I go walk up there and we have, like I said, we had a 48, a 240 in the Dishka. And Dishka is facing this way because they kept coming at us from really far distances from that, from that side. But this 48 and this 240 are linked with about a thousand rounds. So we had done them and the belts are all like this on top of sandbags. I'm up there for about three seconds. Legitimately, I ask him one question. Holy fuck. They're waiting for him to stand up or something and Oh, I just fucking instantly they're coming at us from the wood line. We can see the, and they're, I don't like sometimes this is why I do believe in God. Like I'm saying, I have no idea how none of these rounds, I have no idea. Cause I mean, they're impacting the top of this fucking collot wall. They're clearly going over me. They're clearly going around us. But they didn't impact any of this shit. This one little area. And I get up there and I fucking charge the 48 bag. Now, we had all these calluses on our hands like all guys do when they're out there doing shit. 
The 48 has a clip on it. I don't know if, did you use the 48 very much? Not a lot. So on the charging handle, when you pull it back, it's not like the saw or the M240 where it's just one solid piece. There's a clip that releases it off the side of the machine gun so you can pull it back. And it had pitched, actually caught somehow my callus completely and tore all the skin off my finger. And I had no idea at the time. So I pulled it back and I started engaging. I go through all my fucking ammo. And of course you're shaking like this, going ape shit and there's blood going everywhere. But this is, this is the, the most, the closest indirect fire I've ever received was, was that day. And I'm engaging and I hear, and I hear, and when I mean like hit the, so here's a claw wall. When I mean they hit the fucking base of the wall right here, I'm in the middle of shooting this 48 and it's like, that's a fucking real thing. Like in a video game, they say yeah. it's that they show it in video <laughs> games. I can assure you, and I can promise yeah. you, motherfuckers, that is a real thing that legitimately happens. Yeah. It literally everything was like slow, and I've just—I'll never forget that. Then everything just kind of comes back. Yeah, it was That's fucking, fucking loud. Trip, man. What yeah. uh, was there any uh, casualties on your guys' side? Not during not not ever when we were inside of our collot ever. Yeah, uh, we had some guys, some EOD guys that had. Uh, fucking with uh, an IED. Actually, I guess we did take a few casualties, but one of the days they had uh, fucking with an IED and they were both working together and they just happened to be standing somewhat like this and the IED went off, killed this guy and then blew this bat guy's head in half and he, I I don't know what happened to him, but I I heard he turned into pretty much nothing now. I I mean, one of our guys. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, We were driving back every once in a while to get supplies. Like when I mean supplies, I'm just talking about f- literally fuel blivets, um, ammunition, a lot, a lot of ammunition and water or in fuel, or excuse me, and food. And we would, we would change our routes every single time that we'd go out in two trucks. This is how, how light we were on men. I wouldn't recommend ever doing this to anybody, but we did it because that's all we had is we would go back, which was about an hour and a half drive. We would have to drive to the nearest camp to refit and refuel. And we went out with six guys. So we left back on our camp, like 15 and we'd go out in a group of just two trucks and we drive for their hour and a half hour, 45. And we change our route every fucking time, every time we never drove on the same track ever. And somehow they figured out that we were driving along the same route. They, they somehow got IEDs on this route. And the guy truck behind me apparently wasn't driving on my tracks or I missed of, I must have drove a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right, but we missed it and they hit it and they had the fuel blivet and it shot these two motherfuckers way out of the trucks. Didn't set the fuel blivet off. Damn. First time I ever had to grab another guy's sack <laughs> was, was that day. I had to cut his pants all the way up to make sure he wasn't bleeding his ball sack. He was like, he was our medic and he was like, please make sure my sack's okay. Please make sure I can't feel my toes. Please make sure, please. I was like, okay. Did he end up getting fucked up or? Yeah, yeah. he's pretty fucked. He's, uh, his back is super fucked now. Of course, he had um, TBI. Both of them were just fucked mentally or, or their brains were. They were bleeding like a motherfucker in their face because one of them, of course, didn't have his helmet on because it was too hot or some shit. And when it blew up, cracked his fucking head and then shot him out of the truck. But, yeah. 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 Well, I, had, I, had, I had fun though over there. I learned a lot. You learn a lot about who you are as yeah. Because you're put in the most shitty situation a human could be possibly, as you know, you could possibly put yourself in. Yeah. 
And then you got to figure out how to get out of that. I mean, our area was steamed so unsafe that the fucking CJ Sotif Eastern commander would not fly out to, to greet us. We're going to take a quick pause to get a shout out from our sponsor. We love ghost bed. They have super comfortable mattresses that last forever and they're made in the USA. Every mattress has a 20 year warranty. Some even have 25 and you can try it out for a hundred and one nights. If you don't like it, you can send it back. No hard feelings. One of our favorite parts about Ghostbed is that each mattress has cooling technology in it. So if you get hot at night, like say I do here in Texas, these things are a lifesaver. Ghostbed also offers bundles so you can get everything you need. You don't even have to really think about it. Just choose from their four mattresses and then pick your bundle. So whether you just need a mattress and frame or you want it all, like their cooling pillows and sheets, you can get the best bang for your buck. Right now, GhostBed is offering 40% off GhostBed bundles where you get a mattress and adjustable base. Or 30% off everything if you use the code MICDROP at GhostBed.com forward slash MICDROP. You can buy a mattress for like 35 bucks a month. They have zero down, 0% financing plan for up to 60 months. Go check it out at GhostBed.com forward slash MICDROP. Do you have an RV or a camper? You should check out GhostBed's RV mattress. You can get the all-foam or hybrid version, and it's perfectly sized to fit your RV, camper, or trailer. It's way better than what you're sleeping on now with exclusive cooling technology to keep you nice and cool throughout the night. Right now, you can get 30% off the RV mattress by using code MICDROP. Well, let's talk about protein. Uh, Everybody knows that protein is uh, kind of the key ingredient to building muscle uh, both after a workout as well as before you go to bed. Uh, I want to talk to you about a sponsor, Prime Protein. It's uh, They've got chocolate, vanilla, strawberry. It's a grass-fed beef isolate protein providing a complete protein. One scoop of it is equivalent to four ounces of grass-fed beef. Uh, Prime Protein is less likely to cause gastrointestinal problems. <clears throat> Prime Protein also contains collagen and gelatin, that repairs your joints and soft tissues like plant protein won't. And I can attest to that. Prime protein does not have any added chemicals, fillers, binding agents, or artificial coloring or sweeteners. And the beef protein is made the exact same way that bone broth is made. Low and slow, heating to preserve the nutrition. There's no chemical processing. I love the stuff. Uh, Prime protein is paleo and keto approved. It tastes uh, more like a dessert than it does beef. And there are 30 servings per bag. So go to equip foods forward slash mic drop. And the code is mic drop for 20% off your entire order. All right, let's get back into it. So what, what was the, um, the intent or the purpose behind having you guys there? You know, looking back on it, they say we were there to cut off drug and gun routes, but we were too small of an element to do that. We really were. Because, you know, to me, there, there are a lot of instances throughout the entire campaign in Afghanistan where, and I, and I get that hindsight's twenty twenty, and it's, yeah. it's not completely fair to, to armchair, court, armchair quarterback. On the same token, I think auditing our leadership in air quotes, um, oh God. you know, their, their decision-making process is, is a necessity, um, you know, in terms of accountability. And, and it just seems like in Afghanistan in particular, that there are a multitude of instances like that where you, you can look at it pretty subjectively and think, what was the fucking point of that? You know, that, like there's a lot of them where there are small units or, you know, small groups 
that are out in the middle of fucking nowhere in either areas that don't, you know, seem to have a ton of strategic value and or it was an area that that we had at some point and then didn't have for a long time and and now we're trying to take it back. Like there's a lot of spots that were taken, given up, taken, given up, you know, several iterations of that. And again, I just find myself asking, like, what was the fucking point of that? I don't know. I hate I hate to say there was I hate to say there wasn't a point because we lost guys doing it. You know, we literally had people men marrow men die. Like I don't I wanted like I hate this but you're right. I mean, because, like, you know, if, if you contrast know. it to, say, World War II, which I, I love some of the pictures I that love, you posted yeah. on on your Instagram page about, uh, you know, some of the sites from very historically significant pictures that that are famous that, you know, you went and stood at and looked. Yeah. And, like, I, I've always been fascinated. I'd love to do a trip like that. I've never been. It's I've fun. been to Europe, uh, but never, you know, in, in historical sites with a few exceptions in Holland, uh, just because that's where all the dog or most of the dogs come from. But, um but anyway, my point is, is that, you know, the the historical significance of decisions that were made in a very strategic manner, even to this day, are very understandable, right? It's like, you know, we, we sacrificed th- this unit's safety or these guys' lives perished because this was the objective being taken. And this piece of, of the entire World War II puzzle fit together. And that was an integral piece that was necessary for our guys to go do what they did to accomplish the big picture. Like, it, it all makes sense. There's Man. so many things in Afghanistan and Iraq for that matter. I mean, all of Iraq, frankly. Um, God, you know, when you put it like that, it's almost kind of depressing. It's, it's very depressing, you know, but I, I think, you know, I get asked that a lot and I have this conversation with a lot of combat vets of, you know, looking back on it, was it worth it? You know, how, how do you feel about it? I mean, to me at the end of the day, you know, I know we both have had, you know, close personal friends that, uh, that didn't come back and, and it's hard to reconcile that sometimes, but I think ultimately, for any of us, you know, we all uh, signed on the dotted line yeah. knowing that that was a, a possibility and B is that we are volunteering, volunteering up to and including our lives for, uh, for the, the betterment and the good of our country in a manner with which, you know, we, we trust that, that they're going to employ us to the best of their ability uh, with what they see fit, you know, and human beings are going to make, make mistakes. Uh, there's going to be human error in every decision and and you can't expect perfection. On the same token, um, you know you would expect at least the attempt at at making a perfect choice, or at least doing the what you think is best. And it's hard to it's hard to figure out where that was. But I, I don't look at any anything that I've done in vain, or or any of the guys that I know personally uh, really well that that have lost. I don't I don't look at their lives being lost in vain. And, and that again, like we we all volunteered to serve an idea you know and and uh and that doesn't i don't think you know somebody else making a shitty decision or making a mistake doesn't take away uh the value in in guys volunteering to uh to better our society or or protect our way of life or or anything like that you know i mean that's how i look at it it's funny you say that so i man that's kind of crazy I actually, my, since I've been out, I actually sent a, a DM to the, the guy that was in the Lieutenant Colonel that was in charge really of my battalion at the time. I sent him a, a DM cause we got put in myself and Benji, we got put in for these awards. I think I got put in for a bronze star with V and he got put in for a silver star for actions on that one day when we almost ran out of ammo and it got denied. And I asked him, 
said, why the fuck did I literally, I asked a Lieutenant, like I asked this some bitch, I said, why the fuck did you deny our awards? Like, well, who the fuck are you to tell me? Literally, like, I was, I was kind of angry the first time because like, nothing can happen to me now. Yeah. You know, like, I want to fucking know why. Mm. And he responded and he apologized. Really? Yeah. He apologized, but it, he said it wasn't him that denied it. He didn't even know anything about it. So, so what was he apologizing for then? For putting us through a bunch of fucking shit. Because I think he's starting to realize the same question you just asked. Because I see him tweet a bunch of stuff out that it, he feels like a lot of stuff we did might have been useless. Yeah. Like it's just or like literally because mm -hmm. like you look back on the shit that we did on that just the eastern side of the country on in pakistan area why didn't the conventional army push through there yeah with a larger force they could have pushed through there and secured whatever they want yeah you know, whatever they wanted like why the and now, now you put it like that i never really thought about that why did you send a 22 man team or 21 man guy or whatever it was down to this area to then try to clear white space that no one's been for years when we barely had enough men to even hold our own camp. Yeah. Well, I mean, so to me, like, I, you have to look at the big picture. Um, I, I don't particularly... There's no one else down there. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I necessarily subscribe to the Machiavellian philosophy of, you know, the end justifying the means in every case. Yeah. But if you, again, if you look at World War II, it's like there's a pretty tangible result in, in the sacrifice that our country collectively made. Look, look at what happened because of it, right? It's, it's very recognizable. Bastogne, Bastogne is one. I, so I was just in Bastogne. And yeah. what you're talking about is what they did in Bastogne. Yeah, but I mean, so look at Germany and look at Japan now yeah. versus the way they were in World War II. Like, okay, what we did made a big goddamn difference, <laughs> yeah. right? If you look at yeah, Iraq and Afghanistan right now, mm. what's the difference? Well, fuck, there, there really isn't one. It's funny, the guy that's trying to take everybody's guns here in America gave our one of our biggest enemies a fuckload of guns. Yeah. It's the most ironic thing ever. I know it. You know, but to, I mean, to me, yeah. that, that, those are the questions that, that our, our uh, I, I don't even want to use the term leaders because many of them are not, but uh, you know, people in positions of authority, um, you know, the decisions that they make, you know, if, if you're in that position, then that, that's part of that that territory is, is that it needs to be audited and, and called to into question if there's questionable shit. And if you can't give a, a, a good and, and recognizable and justifiable reason as to why our guys did what they did, then, then you've got to be fucking held accountable for that, you know, and, yeah. and a lot of them aren't. Um, God, no, you're right. You are right. I mean, I think it has to do with OER bullets and promotions and shit like that as well. Yeah. To be, I mean, that's as bad yeah. as that sounds, but no, I mean, well, they I mean, need to, they need to, they need to put something there. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the reality of, I mean, I, I am not so far removed or, uh, you know, so disconnected from when, when I used to do that for a living to, to not be able to, to still see both sides. I mean, I think there's an element of, again, is that when you're 18 to, to mid twenties, late twenties, I mean, or even into your thirties that there's still an element of naivete that exists is that like you're assuming that the people that are making the decisions on your behalf have your best interest in mind. And sometimes they don't, uh, you know, oftentimes it's not that simple either. It's not just what's best for the guys. There is political pressure. There's geopolitical pressure. There's economic pressure because of, you know, what, what natural resources may exist or, or what, uh, diplomatic handshake we have with with that country or that region for certain things that that make our way of life possible. I'm I'm not naive to that, um, but I also think that you know there there is a component at play where where there there's such a, a disconnect from the people that are actually pulling the strings and, and making the calls 
and the guys actually on the ground, sled dogs doing the work, getting their hands dirty, that, you know, it's that telephone game that there's enough people in between, you know, that, that at some point the message kind of gets lost, you know, and, and, and guys that think they're doing, you know, just what their superiors want them to do. Like, like there comes a certain point where it's like, nobody really knows what the fuck's going on and they're just trying to do what they were told, yeah. you know, uh, and it's sad. Um, but anyway, no, you're right. I, uh, <laughs> you really kind of maybe really start thinking about it. Like, what was the point of it? Yeah. I, I don't know. Well, again, I, I, I think, you know, to me, I think it's counterproductive for guys like us to, to, to look too heavy in, into that uh, because it doesn't matter. Like at this point, you know, the reality of it is, is that we both volunteered to serve our country. Right. Yeah. And, and we did, did the best with what we had to, to go do what our country asked of us and, and come home and, and protect the guys on either side of us. And, and that was our job and that's what we did. So, you know, beyond that, I'm going to say it kind of doesn't matter. I think it matters to to subsequent generations for guys like us to question people that are making those decisions now because the next generations deserve guys like us looking out for for them or it's just going to continue to happen. Um, but I, you know, I think to, to be depressed or to, to think like, fuck, I wasted my time. I don't, I don't view it that way. You know, again, I, uh, I'm, I'm proud of my service. I would do it again. I, I wouldn't continue to do it at that age. I, I would, I would go back and I would do it again. I think it was good, good for me at that point in my life. And, and I'm glad I did it. And I always, always will be proud of it. But, um, but I do think it's important to, um, you know, to question the people that make those decisions. Yeah, think about how many people killed themselves because yeah. they realized how fucking pointless it was. Well, I mean, again, I, I don't look at it as pointless. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, there's seriously, I mean, think, of, think about it. how many people. Yeah, I'm sure there's people that themselves. do. Uh, I think it's important not to. Again, I mean, I'm a big fan of compartmentalizing things uh, in, in my entire life, you know, or, or throughout my entire life and, and in every aspect of my life for that reason. I think, you know, um, some things it's it's just better to keep it simple and, and take the good out of out of as many things as you can. You know, like, yeah, you can sit here and dwell on on everything negative, right? Mm -hmm. The fucking, how hot it is, right? Or, <laughs> yeah. you it's know, hot, how much yeah. money you don't think you have, or, I mean, you, you can find things to, to be depressed about or, or, or piss and moan about or, or think negatively upon, uh, or you can, you know, think about the things that a, you can control or b that, that are good in your life and you can be grateful for them, you know? And, and to me, it's just always better to, to focus on those things than, than the transverse. But, um, anyway, I don't, I don't want to get on a soapbox anymore yeah. than I already have. But um, so the, the, going back to the, I guess, that that part of that deployment, um, it just continued to do that. What, was there a, a point at which you guys wrapped up and, and accomplished something, or did you just turn it over to somebody else, or did I ended you just up leave? Turning it over to somebody else, and the crazy part is we never did a, um, like any type of training, or, or I guess not training, but kind of walking them in and what we've, walking through what we've been, doing with them literally they a um chinook landed they came off we fist bumped they got on we got oh, on. Shit. that was it is that fast they had no idea what they were even walking into holy fuck they had no idea so i mean what what and from what i know they did lose a couple guys there over the the following weeks from what i heard through i, I chain of command or whatever that the guys that replaced us did lose a couple guys there after we left because it didn't slow down it didn't slow down at all I mean, did you guys ask why why we didn't spend a few days doing turnover shit? No, I didn't. It, what, I, so the guy at the time, I actually ended up getting in charge of all the guys because the main guy that was in charge responded to an email 
in a very sarcastic. So this is this is why sometimes I think officers are some of the worst people in the military for the military. Um, so they asked, they were asking these stupid fucking questions about like, what do you like? We're sitting out here and we still have a month and some change left. Like we're not fucking worried about what I'm going to do when I get home. Like, I know you guys, you motherfuckers sitting back there eating chow and, and, and enjoying your fucking time. Like, I get it. You guys are really thinking forward about well, what are we going to do when we get home? Like, we're not fucking worried about trying to, how the fuck are we going to make it past this day? And I remember they sent an email or some bullshit through and he checked his emails once a day and he responded back. They're like, what do you guys plan to do your first 48 hours back? And we literally responded, we're going to drink beer and fuck our wives. <laughs> not even a joke. Yeah. I mean, what the fuck? What do you, how, what kind of, what kind of, what do you want what us do you to do? What do you think we're going to do? What do you think we're going to do? So, but the thing is, is the reason why he got in trouble wasn't because he sent that email. It's because whatever lower level motherfucker didn't read through the emails. It's kind of funny when you think about it. Took the answers from each section from, from the deployment that they would fall, fall under. And the, the commanders at the time were giving a briefing to the fucking, the guy in charge of the CJ Soda East or whatever. And literally put that up on the fucking board. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> so oh, they, so that's great. literally what they, so what is, what is, what, what, what is the, the team out near Pakistan? Or I didn't want to say like what, whatever they called us at the time, what are they going to be doing? And that's literally what fucking pops up. Yeah, that's great. So since he wrote that, they pulled him back and we had about a month and a half left or so. So roughly maybe two months, whatever it was. And then I got put in charge and I hate doing paperwork. Hated doing all that shit. I had to put in, I had to learn how to put in for purple hearts. I had to put in two of them and I don't even know how to fucking do the paperwork for it. So I had to literally learn how to do that stupid fucking, then I had to take on those tasks. And that's, I guess maybe it's just because we really had nobody there to, to, to <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why we didn't do a handoff Yeah, because they, crazy. they did. We never did a handoff. I remember they started peeling, peeling off some guys a little bit at a time. And then a bird landed at night, of course, we loaded. They left. Um, what was but, the uh, the the method with which you guys were communicating back to attack, or, or where you were getting your direction from? We had one like twenty foot uh, container that had uh, the SF guys had set up some sat phones, some sat lines, and once a day we'd go in there, and we were able to pull up one computer that had internet that was connected to the back to whatever you want to call it, the fucking main base. And that was it. Wow. That was no, we had nothing else. Like we ran on it and we weren't allowed to keep the generator on at all times. So we were literally living on a generator. So we had, we had a fuel blivet, a water blivet, and that was it. So we didn't have, we could not run the generator all like during the day, the generator was off during the night. It was on because it had to power up the talk and all that kind of shit to maintain comms. But that was it. We dug our own shitters. We, uh, we, we, um, finally got a, finally got a, so remember I told you the guy that, that this, the CJ sort of commander wasn't allowed to come out cause he deemed it too unsafe. The first two months he came out about three months deep, flew out there. I've never been more infuriated, uh, than having this, this guy there. I know he's a big, bad motherfucker. He was like a, what is it, major. He's an SF guy. He's done everything. I get it. But he lands there and he hadn't realized that we had no showers. We had no running water. We didn't even have a place to cook. We had nothing. And after literally one week after he landed and left, they had sent down an engineering uh, platoon 
that brought down a fucking a shower, like a mobile shower thing, and then a mobile kitchen. One yeah. week after he left. How long had you guys been there? Oh, three months at this time. Were you just eating MREs the whole time? Yeah, those and first strikes. Yeah. And uh, we would randomly do airdrops. If we could get an airdrop, we would do an airdrop, and they wouldn't allow us to, for some reason, order steaks in, like, small quantities. I guess it's too fucking hard for the Army to realize there's, like, 20 of us to send us 20 steaks. Yeah. They'd send us, like, a fucking pallet full of steaks. So we would literally cook as many steaks as we could over our... We dug a hole and put a Hesco barrier thing on top of it and just cooked the beans in the can and put the steaks on the grill or the top of the Hesco barrier. Wow. What was that? Fucking good times, huh? I loved it. Every yeah. second of it. Um, yeah. We had a chaplain come out a few times. That was like one of those moments where I'm like, why are they sending this guy out here? This is kind of it's kind of kind of scary a little bit. <laughs> why is this yeah. guy coming out? Is he coming out here for a reason? Does they know everybody's going to die or something? <laughs> why is this guy out here? So, fucking bad omen. Yeah, like I'm yeah. kind of confused. We haven't had one this entire time. Yeah. Seven months in, they now just send us a chaplain? Yeah, that's a, that's a fucking military for you. <laughs> um, all right, so you, you come back from that deployment. Yeah. Uh, I know how the first 48 hours went. Yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. Uh, what happened after that? And, and uh, was that your last deployment? That was my last one. So when I had left... Or right before I had left is when, no, right before I left, I forgot, Pat Feeks had been killed. His helicopter was shot down in the southern portion of Afghanistan. This is when you were with the SF guys? This I was with the SF guys, and the, he and those SEALs were being like legitimately rotated around the country because they didn't really know what to do with them, but they didn't want them just to sit there. So they would rotate them in on like really high priority, like real bad shit, and that's when they got shot down on the southern side. And that was at the in August, I think. And so I came back just after that. And I remember I flew back to the States and it took me, I'm going to say like two months to really start like getting back to a normal life. It was really kind of, cause I was living at such a high tempo. It took, cause you go from like a, you know what I mean? You go from such a high tempo yeah. to like nothing. And you know, like, fuck do I, do I, I don't, I don't yeah. know what I'm doing here. No, it's a culture shock. I mean, I, I, I know it's a little better slash different now. Um, but I, yeah, I think the military is, uh, is really underprepared, uh, and does not do an adequate job of transitioning guys from combat zones back into, I don't know. you know, normal. Cause no one wants, really wants to say anything either. Yeah. No one wants to be like, I'm fucking, I'm struggling. Yeah. No one wants to say shit. Yeah. Main thing that ever killed what kills everybody mainly, I think, is anxiety just drives you fucking nuts. Yeah. yeah. But I came back and um, realized the regular army shit wasn't for me. I'd pretty much peaked at the regular army level you could ever like. I had as much schooling as a regular army guy is going to get. Like, like what? Like what I'm saying? Like what else can I really do? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I can make it to E7 really easily. It's not that hard. Like, okay, what do I want to do next? So after two, two or three months of being back, I went out to selection. And I got selected. Selection was pretty, pretty rough. I'm not going to lie, but I'm glad it was like that. Cause it really weeds out a lot of the shitheads. Um, I don't, I, I know a lot about y'all's because I, I asked a lot of questions when I was there about y'all's, uh, the main significant difference is the fact that we didn't swim. Yeah. Y'all motherfuckers swam oh, a yeah. lot. Well, you're, and you're just in the water all the time. You're in the water. You guys think ours was complete or the one I went through was completely different. A lot of land-based, a lot of stupid weight was put on us for no reason. But they make you think, and that's what I think. What's that's really good about op, special operators is they, they. That's how I think they weed out. Everybody can be really physical. Like you can be the most physical guy, really fit and really in shape, which I was. I was really in shape. I was like 
phenomenal in shape, just lower 20s, like you're going to be good. But they weed out the guys by forcing them to do really high stress things and trying to figure problems. Yeah. And that's in it. And if they, if, if the military somehow could take a smaller version, not nearly as physical version of that and actually put that to the, the whole army, yeah. be completely different. Yeah. But I think that thing was like six weeks long and I, whatever, I got selected and, uh, I don't know what happened between either jumping out of planes or ruck runs. Cause I, you know, I'm not a very tall guy. I'm only five, nine. I have to maintain my ego. Just like every one of us, you have to be at the front of the line. Like I was, I remember I was number 17 to fucking finish the ruck march at SF. And it was like 27 miles or some bullshit. I was real fucking excited about that. Yeah. My feet were like this fucking big, <laughs> you know, they hurt like hell, but I, I'm telling you, I, it was something like stupid like that. But I had actually ruptured three discs and fractured two vertebrae doing so. And I don't know if it was during selection, after selection, jumping out of planes. I don't know exactly where it had happened. And that's when I went in. I got my, uh, was it MRI? MRI? Yeah, I was sticking a little fucking tube. Stuck me in the tube. Came back legitimately. The next day, I had a, a meeting, I guess you would say, not a meeting, but a, I was called in by the, um, the PA. And he said, you have two options. I'm going to tell you right now, I've seen this a lot. You have two options. Change your MOS or get out. And he goes, I can start a med packet right now. I was like, the fuck you think I'm going to change my, I, you literally just did all the shit I've done for last year. You think I'm going to go change my MOS? Yeah. To some like admin bullshit. Yeah, I literally went to go be SF to get away from all that shit. Yeah. And uh, that's pretty much what happened. And uh, I got out. It was actually one of the better things for me. I started some businesses. I've done my mill, that's, that's the other thing is you look back at all those hard things you've done and it kind of gives you the opportunity to excel against your peers here in the civilian side of the world, I guess you would say, because a lot of these people don't know how to handle high stress environments and, and when you've been put in those kind of situations where it's either life or death type yeah. deal, you, you kind of learn. It, it makes it, the, the stresses of owning a business not that big of a deal or, or there's still it is a big deal. Sometimes, but, but not like that. Not like that. I mean, not, not where your life is on the line liter literally at a moment's notice. You know, yeah. your livelihood might be, but but there's always uh, an ability to, to think your way through it and, and, and figure out uh, a solution to it, you know. Um, you know, to me, I, you know, again, I've interviewed a lot of guys, um, you know, with pretty remarkable stories. Uh, you're certainly no exception. And, you know, some of them uh, turn into into very successful entrepreneurs and some don't. And there seems to be a correlation between, you know, the one of the first questions I asked was, or actually the first question, you know, in terms of, you know, why are we here? Um, you know, and, and there does seem to be a, a parallel between guys that dive headfirst into uh, entrepreneurship or or something that's significant as as it relates to taking up their time and their bandwidth mentally uh, and happiness versus guys that that don't have that and are fucking miserable you know that have these types of experiences and it and it it, it uh, I mean almost to to a T with every with every example and without exception, you know, guys that, that funnel that or, or tra transition from a military career right into doing something where they're running their own shit and they're passionate about it and they're, and they're building a business or doing something like that, that they're really, you know, all in and completely behind and being successful and happy and balanced and, and what have you. I mean, it doesn't mean you don't have bad days, but then the guys that are legit struggling, you know, are guys that never really found 
something to do, you know, and, and they're, I mean, to me, it comes across as essentially they're, they're fucking bored and they're miserable because of it. Oh God. Yeah. You're so right. So it's kind of funny. You're talking about that. I all day, that's all I do is work. If I find myself, sometimes my most fucked up me is three in the morning when I wake up to go take a piss and I can't go back to sleep because yeah. then my mind is going, it never stops. The last three nights, matter of fact, have been really brutal for me. You're nervous about coming here, huh? <laughs> very, very. <laughs> I, I don't know what the fucking problem has been, but the last three nights has been pretty bad. But I went and saw a, um, I had a conversation with Dakota Meyer about two years ago. Everybody knows who Dakota is. I don't need to explain who he is. Yeah, he's been uh, on here. Oh, he's a fucking phenomenal. So me and him have a conversation and he was asking me kind of, he, I think he was like trying to get a gauge of what kind of guy I was or what I've done or what, like just what it was. He goes, I think I need you to go see somebody. I'm like, for what? And he goes, I need you to go see a mental health lady. He goes, just listen to me. I know it sounds fucking, fucking stupid. Just go see her. So I went and saw her and she was out in Florida. Fuck. You want to talk about making a man break down? No shit. Fuck me. Yeah. She made me, she put me in the seat. And all she sees, she didn't see anybody else but soft guys. And that, that's pretty much it. Literally it. I went into her office, and it's probably the size of this, this room right here. And her walls are covered in seal memorabilia, like everything you can think of. That's all she sees. And that's how she helped me get a rating. Because military is fucking bullshit on their ratings. Mm -hmm. The rating system is fucked. Yeah. Like it's super, it just is. And she got me from being like, when I had got out with my, like I was fucked and my, my back still hurts today. Like I spent, like I just spent 6,500 bucks to have this guy try a different type of therapy where it's like must turn, he's turning on these muscles. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Mm -mm. He's pushing pressure points, turning on muscles. I'm trying some new shit, but my back is still fucked. But she got me from literally being at 80% of where it was to a hundred percent where I don't have to ever go back and do my reevaluation. Yeah. Cause that's a thing. Oh yeah. That's a fucking real. So she got me to that point just by going and telling the story. She's like, well, you're kind of, I guess, fucked in the head. I'm like, I don't think, I mean, I'm not fucked in the head. There's so many of us that are the exact same. Yeah. It's the fucking same, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway, I just, I don't think a lot of people go out and seek that shit, but he made me go do it. And uh, that was two years ago. You said it was two years ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was the, like, once you decided to get out, what was the immediate thing? Did you, did you have the yeah. businesses in, oh, yeah. in your mind already before you got out? Or? Before I got out, I started one. Yeah. I started one moving on one. It was in the esports industry, which is video games. This is back in 2014. Uh, I liked playing video games a lot, just like everybody else does back then. I mean, I played a lot of video games, mainly just Call of Duty, and I liked gambling. Didn't have a lot of money, but I liked to gamble. Everybody liked to gamble. So I figured out how to build out a, a website and a system to where I was basically the middleman and it's legal because it's a game of skill, not chance. So it being a game of skill instead of chance, I was able to be, uh, I created a wagering platform to where people could literally wager their skill against another for a certain amount of money or credits, I guess you would say. And then I would take a rake of what you would call it now of 10% if you weren't a member and I would do it for free if you were. So basically I was a membership subscription type thing and I would take a percentage if they were, but everybody, nobody wanted 10% taken from them. So they just buy a membership. Oh shit. And I was, and then I sold that business, um, a year later or so I learned some stuff there, had a bad partnership or learned about bad business or uh, bad partners in business. Learned a little bit there, started making YouTube videos, sold cars for a little while, about 10 months, became an alcoholic, a significant alcoholic, like really bad. And now I don't even really drink at all anymore, thank God. But 
I was a drunk every day. I was a big, big piece of shit. Didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Like I was, I was, I was a bad person. I was, I was falling back into those. Instead of being 14, now I'm in my mid twenties. I'm a mid mentality. Yeah. It's a big piece of shit again. And started drinking. I was making a lot of money selling cars. I honestly was all different types, like just used cars or, or Fords. Yeah. I don't sell Fords. I'd drink every day though. And, uh, had a buddy of mine tell me, you should start making YouTube videos. Fishing's about to blow up. It's like, how the fuck you know that? I said, I'm not real good at fishing. <laughs> you know? I fuck you know that. So I started making YouTube videos and it actually helped me quit drinking because I couldn't be drunk on camera and I was just working. So now I filled the void, which you were talking about earlier, where a lot of people don't know what they do and they get lost. Well, I was one of those guys that was lost drinking, had no idea what the fuck I wanted to do with myself. So then when I started making YouTube videos, then I knew what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I'm making YouTube videos and then it took off. And then I, that channel has got a couple million subscribers. And then we, and then I put together a group of guys called the Guggen squad, which you talked about earlier. And we started creating product or product or excuse me, uh, videos. And then we went over to make products and now those products are in everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. They've, we've done a really good job there. And just, I mean, we've taken that brand and we own, a handful of other brands and companies underneath that one. And I've started multiple other channels since then. I think I'm running three right now myself. It's just YouTube. That's yeah. pretty much my, it keeps me going. Like that, that lady, when I was in Florida and this reason why I brought it up is she told me the one thing she's worried about for me is when I stop working. Yeah. It's exactly what she said. Yeah. She says, I see guys like you all the time. And my biggest concern is what are you going to do with yourself when you stop working? Yeah. I think that's with, with most guys that, uh, or most folks that have been in the military that, um, that had significant amounts of responsibility, you know, being in the military, there, there's responsibility everywhere, but when other people's lives are on your shoulders or, or what you do or don't do, whether it's right or not impacts, whether or not people come home or not, I think that that, that, uh, creates a mental paradigm shift in people to where, you get used to that. And there's, there is something to be said, especially for men, uh, for, for being dependent on. Right. And, and, and I think as, as a type or double a type personality, men that, that are hard chargers that, that want to make a difference that have served their country, et cetera. When they go from that being their identity, right. Is that you're a professional soldier, you're a fucking warrior. Like you, you fight people for a living essentially to, uh, to not doing that. If there's just that that void there, that's when people go fucking crazy. That void doesn't necessarily need to be filled with being a you know a cop or a, an FBI agent or you know a bodyguard or, or whatever, but it needs to be filled with something that makes you feel like people are depending on you for something, right? And, and I think that's the biggest problem that that most guys have is they do things that they they lose their identity, especially with soft guys or, or any, any job in them in the military where you're legitimately at that tip of the spear and, and you're, you're fighting face to face with, with our nation's enemies. And then you come home and, and your identity for, for years or even decades has been the varsity guy. Right. And now you're not that fucking guy you're anymore, nothing. you know? And, and so you, you, you are forced to reinvent yourself in some way. And if that way doesn't, parallel or include being dependent on, you know, pe people relying on you for something, 
I, I think it, it is a negative uh, mentally for a lot of guys, for, for anybody. I mean, it, it would be myself included if I hadn't gone the path that I did, which is, which is largely similar to yours. Um, you know, and it's, uh, it's too bad. I, I wish that the military did a better job of, of communicating that and, and helping guys set up their why, you know, when they get out, you know, cause this is, that's the best, that's the best thing I think we have to get take from this to for anybody. Cause what you just said right there, their why yeah. they have like a, what is it like the two week period when you're trying to get out, they yeah. give you all these stupid classes, I mean, resumes and how to wear a suit. Like, no, that what shit the matters. Fucking doesn't matter. No, what, what matter? What blows your fucking hair back? Like again, yeah. I mean, the simplest way to put it is what is, what is your why for getting up in the morning? Because I, I mean, I can tell you like, I know the circles you run in with, you know, selling businesses and owning businesses, acquiring them, you know, there's probably a lot of the same types of people. And I've met, you know, folks with, uh, you know, more money than they can spend in the rest mm. of their life. They're fucking miserable, absolutely miserable. Now I've also met people that, um, had that same amount of money that are some of the happiest, most positive, coolest people you've ever met, uh, on the planet. The, the, um, the coincidence or the parallel isn't money. It's, it's purpose. And whether it's there or not, uh, to me, money is like steroids is that it, it, it doesn't make something into something that it isn't. In, in other words, you know, you can't be a fat fuck that sits around on the couch and be like, well, I'm just going to, you know, take a bunch of steroids and now I'm going to be a professional athlete, fucking Adonis that looks like a professional middle linebacker in the NFL. Like, no, you got to still put the work in, you know, so steroids are going to amplify whatever's there or not, you know, and money is the same way. Like if you're miserable and you don't love what you do and there's no purpose behind what you're doing, lottery winners, uh, trust fund babies, you know, people like that are, are largely fucking miserable. They just have way more means to be even more miserable and do drugs and acquire things that are dangerous and poisonous and toxic, et cetera. Uh, whereas, you know, for the people that love what they do, money just enhances that and, and makes all of that far, far better, you know? So, um, Anyway, again, here I am. Uh, no, you're you're hundred percent right. I know. Stealing. I think about trust fund guys. I know some trust fund guys that are fucking miserable as can be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you, you have I to do. have a, a reason to want to get up in the morning to be happy. I mean, that, that's the reality of it. And I think that's the biggest problem with kids nowadays is that our country has been so successful for so long, both financially and and technology wise, medically, et cetera. So there's not a lot of challenge. You know, I mean, if if the most challenging thing in a in a 15 year old's life, like the worst thing that's ever happened to him is somebody said, you know, made fun of them for what they were wearing. Like contrast that to the, the countries you and I have been in and, and what those kids go through, <laughs> yeah. right? It's, it's laughable. Yeah, it, what it is, I just say, yeah, yeah. it is laughable. You know, yeah, okay. But, but, yeah. but it's all relative. And that yeah. if that's your, your reality, right. Yeah. Is that that's the worst thing that's ever happened to you. And you're that fucking bored and you've got that little of a challenge in your life. Then yeah, that's when you're more worried about what fucking pronoun is used or Ugh. what brand of jeans you're wearing or, or whatever else. And that's when kids get miserable and fucking kill themselves. And that's why in our country specifically, you know, suicide rates in, in young kids and teens is higher than, than pretty much everywhere else on the planet. And, and it's, uh, it's so uh, tragically ironic that way. But um, anyway, um, what, what was the, um, I, I guess the drive in terms of YouTube, like what was the, the click in your mind that, that you're like, that's what I want to fucking do. Um, honestly, it's cause it kept me busy mentally. And once I realized it was doing that and I could make money doing it. And I liked fishing at the time, like a lot, like it's what I like to do. So like, I'll just keep making these. And no one at the time 
was making, this is the boom of what I call vlogging era of YouTube where everybody was making vlogs. And a lot of these people were making daily vlogs, but no one was doing it in the fishing industry. So I was the first guy in the world to make daily videos with fishing related content. And that's what put me out from the, the handful of guys that oddly enough, I now work with all of them. All the guys that were making videos back then, but they were doing it like once a week. They're now working. They're all Googans. So we all, that that's the only thing that separated them from me. They all had about 30,000 subs back then. And I had like a hundred. So I started making different videos and getting, I just realized the more content I could put out there, the easier it was for people to find me. They may not like me the first time, but they may like me the second time they subscribe. That's pretty much it. That's all I did. And then the ball started rolling. I went from like, I remember getting like 200 subs a day to like 500 to a thousand to 1500 to 2000. And it just stayed like that for like 1500 to 2000 for like two years. Wow. That was it. Just stayed, just churning and burning. YouTube's changed so much now. It ain't like that. The content that they want is so different. If you go on their homepage, they like gaming. They like fucking movies. They like music, shit Make like up that. tutorials. Like shit like that. They like yeah. that kind of stuff. And back then, there wasn't a political bias on the channel it's, or the platform itself. Now, we all know it's extremely left-leaning. They... They, they always send out these alerts for like black creators. I'm like, why? Well, what's the difference between me and a black, like they literally will like put their content before ours. Yeah. Like I was telling you before this, I have a lady that, and to me, this is the, this is some of the shit that's wrong with fucking America is like companies, for instance, like this ladies in California does all my ad deals. She's a really nice lady. She didn't want to work with me at the beginning because she thought I was what she literally called me a Trumper. I didn't fuck with you. I said, how do you know I like Trump? Well, you like guns and you're from Texas. Well, how did, that doesn't fuck him anything. It really doesn't. Trump was an idiot during certain situations. He was, but he was a lot better than the person he was running against. Was he not? She said, it's fair point. I said, okay, well, then I'm not a fucking Trumper. I just voted for the lesser of two evils. Same thing with fucking Biden. Like what does it really matter? Yeah. But she was telling me that like um, nowadays, since I'm an outdoorsman, conservative and white, it doesn't fly. 80% of the people or companies that she works with don't want to pay uh, an influencer like you would call me or whatever you want to call it, a person like myself. They don't want to pay us. Mm -hmm. Like we're off the radar now. They want blacks or uh, Latinos or whatever race it is because they're trying to fill their inner agenda within their company. I'm, it's the goofiest shit ever to me. Yeah, just checking the non-white box. Yes, that's yeah. all they're doing is checking. It's And I don't really understand it. It's like you got to realize like, most of America is white, so you're alienating an entire race. I'm not, it's just the goofiest. Like, who gives a fuck? Like, I wish we would actually have hold elections where you couldn't see the person you're, uh, you're voting for. All you could see is what they want and they have a number. Yeah, just the policies. That's it. That's yeah. all you did. Look at their policies and they get a number. You have no idea what race they are. You have no idea where they come from. That's what you're voting on. Yeah. No, no idea what their political no. leanings are. Never. Yeah. You, that's all. I wish we would do that shit and get away. There's got to be a time. And I recall I had a really, really, really good commander, a CEO in Iraq, very intelligent guy, like super smart. And I had spoke to him about how the army, oddly enough, was getting, seemed to be getting soft. And he said, it's a cycle that we've seen even after World War II it happened. The military was really fucking hard in World War II, clearly. It came out of that, it went soft. Same thing happened leading into Vietnam, was soft, went hard, 
came back soft. He said, it's like a same rotation they see every single time. But now we've got to a fucking part where it's kind of scary. Like where the military should not give a fuck what, like, I don't give a fuck what's on your cat card. If you're like, if you want to be called a tree or like, you know, I don't give a, like they shouldn't give a shit. Yeah. They shouldn't be paying for people to change their gender. That's, yeah, I mean, to me, that, that's of, what rank is for. Like that, that's, that's how you're identified that's your, in the military. That is 100%. That's how you fucking yeah. are identified. It's your, it's your rank and your MOS. Like that, that's your identity in the military. Okay. So which, what's your last four, yeah. last four in rank. All right. Well, here you go. Yeah. Who gives a fuck about your sex? No one cares. Yeah. <sighs> and then whenever they brought, I hate to say it. Now I've had this conversation publicly once because it, it actually makes me mad because Obama and, and, and these guys, they brought in females into the infantry. Now this, this is going to, this is going to piss some people off and I don't give a fuck. I don't care. Females are really good at a lot of things that men cannot do. Yeah. That's a fucking fact. They can have kids. Factual. Can you have a kid? I, can I you mean, right now? Could you shit a baby out? In, in my mind? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I'm, they, I'm right there. They could do that man. kind of stuff, but can they pick up an 80 pound fucking bag and walk 27 miles with it. Yeah, sure. Some can. Okay. Can they go three months without showering? No, they'll get used to fact. Well, that, that puts me and my guys now in a predicament where I got to worry about her. Yeah. I, I think, you know, if you, if you make comparisons operationally to operationally, you know, there's take uh, analysts for, for an example, you know, similarly, like it's, it's been proven um, and, or exemplified time after time after time that like females are better. Yeah. Yeah. For, like in analyzing things, attention to detail, uh, you know, photo imagery analysis. I mean, target uh, package analysis. I mean, all, all kinds of different uh, very, very um, integral components of, of the entire military operation um, you know, women do certain things far better than men. I you know, 100% uh, but, agree with that. Similarly, there's things that men do far better than women. And, and when it comes to enacting violence on other human beings, men are just far superior at it. Like, that's just the reality, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't understand why it had to be political, though. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I don't know why it's complicated or, or controversial either. You know, similarly with having children, it's like, why is that a controversy? Like, <laughs> what, on what, like, and again, I think it just I speaks to, like, if you look at other parts of the world that, that are legitimately struggling, like we're a victim of our own success. We're so you know, bored like, that we have nothing yeah, like, else. Like to, we, we've yeah. been so, so successful for so long and so comfortable for so long that now we legitimately have the luxury of, of fighting and arguing about the dumbest shit that exists. You know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a weird irony. There, there's no two ways about it. But um, so, I, you know, in, in looking at, you know, you got multiple YouTube channels, uh, several businesses. I mean, like what, if somebody doesn't know you from a fucking can of paint and they say, what do you do for a living? Like, how that's, do you answer that? That's so awkward. Yeah. Cause then if you, I've learned if you answer YouTube. Yeah. They're like, well, this fucking clown. No, then you got to explain it. <laughs> oh, I got you. Every fucking time. And then you try to explain it. Like, so you fish for a living? No, I mean, I film myself. So what do you film? Wait, I literally film myself. You know what I mean? Like, what do you film? Yeah. No, I don't think you fucking understand. I literally will grab a camera and just fucking talk to it. That's all I do. Yeah. But I, I, I usually now just, say, I try to say, I just film for a living. Yeah. I don't even want to get into detail. Don't, don't really care. Cause I've, I've been asked it so many times. So what do you do for a living? Yeah. Especially on trips. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck, fuck. Here we go. Yeah. I'll get answer. But inside my industry, I don't have to, I thank God I've got to the point where I don't have to, I always told myself 
my, well, my buddy told me this and I always try to strive to be like this. You want to get to the point of your life where you don't introduce yourself. Someone introduces you. Yeah. And that's where we finally got to within our industry. Yeah. Like finally, I don't have to say, yeah, Hey, I make YouTube videos for the, now people, yeah, we know who Rob Turk is. Yeah. He's part of the Googans. We know what the Googans what is. Yeah. That's, 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 if I were to give anybody advice, that's, that's what you want to strive to be is make it to where somebody you get to the point in your life where somebody is introducing you to others. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. What, uh, what, in terms of moving forward, like now what, and, and where do you see yourself two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years? Like well, we'll hopefully we'll exit like business wise. I mean, I've learned a lot this last week. I just got voted onto the board of my own company, which is, we were never on it, but now I've kind of taken a more proactive role within the company itself. I've kind of taken over the marketing, um, and just actually working more day to day than I have ever been ever, which is probably why the last three nights I haven't slept real well. <laughs> to be fucking honest with you, I kind of been yeah. waking up because we're talking about big numbers here. And I, and I, and growing up, I didn't, we didn't have any fucking money. Yeah. And now I'm looking at this and I'm like, this is just surreal in a sense. But yeah, I'd like to uh, continue with what I'm doing and probably take a, I like to invest and I really have been getting into property. I did pretty well in one property sale. I bought a thousand acres up in Oklahoma and I split it up and built a 22 acre lake and then sold that. And the, the land is, I think if people don't have land in their portfolios, they're missing out a lot. Yeah. So I don't know, just that kind of shit. I'd like to stay in business. I really enjoy business and numbers and I understand marketing probably better than, and that's one of the reasons why I put myself in that role within our companies. Cause I understand marketing probably better than, almost a hundred percent of America. Like I understand, cause we're in a different age right now of marketing than I think anybody really, really realizes. Cause you're three years ago, a lot of marketing dollars, as you know, cause I mean, you get ads and stuff for these podcasts and it's, everything's changing. So all the money was getting shifted from TV. The first time about three years ago, finally made the shift over to internet ads were higher than TV. And now it's gotten even worse. So now internet-based and influencer-based marketing is the most powerful thing. So now we build these brands. We build influencer-based brands and you take them to market. And that's extremely crucial. Like we have Guggen, influencer-based. We have Bucks, influencer-based. Ducks, influencer-based. Um, we're a part of another uh, entity called Good Good, which is a golf company, influencer-based. All of it's influencer-based, and it's an entirely different business model that anybody can really understand because we are influencers, so we understand how to generate and, and, and cater to an audience that actually wants what they want to see, but we actually understand business on the other end. So now these are all these brands you're going to start seeing really flow in, especially into Walmart, for instance, and these bigger big box stores are going to be influencer-based brands. So you're going to see people on there, you're going to be like, who the fuck is that? You look him up, he's a YouTuber. Yeah. Like Logan Paul, Jake Paul, you may, do you know, do you know who they are? Yeah. Some of the smartest marketing geniuses on fucking planet earth. Yeah. Some bitch fucking fought Floyd Mayweather for God's sakes. Yeah. He made like 25 million one fight with Floyd. Yeah. With basically no, no when, background. In no boxing. background. Yeah. So you look at them and that's, and that's what I think a lot of people are in businesses. A lot of these big ad agencies are really realizing influencer based marketing. That's the next thing. Yeah. So they're going away from the traditional TV shows, fucking magazines, of course, all that shit. And that's where we'd like to stay. And I'd like to probably be in, an, I, I, hopefully if we can do an exit that's large enough on this company to where I can actually be an advisor and get paid advisor fees to come in and 
help companies. Help companies like, all right, so this is what, where you're fucking up. Cause you can make quite a bit of money doing oh, that. Yeah. And I did it one time and I got paid okay for it, but I didn't have a lot of stuff under my belt. Like if we do this this time and we shape this company, we sell it for as much as we want to, we're looking for, then I actually have a pretty good thing underneath my belt to be like, yeah, we, we sold for a fuckload of money. I can, let me help you come in and it put, take more of an advisory role. Yeah. Come on your board of directors. I'll show you what you guys need to do, where you're fucking up. Yeah. And that's it. That's probably what I would like to do. I have to do something though. Yeah. Something um, like this, that. this whole, this whole other channel where I'm trying to go after vice. I, I hope that does well. I don't know if it will. It might. Like right now I have guys in Vegas right now, as we're making this, they're filming a documentary on brothels in Vegas. Yeah. How, so, uh, did, did you have to, I'm, I'm assuming you didn't, didn't, didn't struggle to get volunteers for that trip. <laughs> <laughs> I talked to him all the way over here. I said, are you guys going to test the clientele out? <laughs> he said, no, 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 no. I almost want to wear a hazmat suit yeah. going in here. I was like, okay, whatever. You guys are 21. I'm sure you're fucking. Yeah. Okay. That's a fucking trip. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. Well, fucking hey, man. Uh, you're a super interesting guy. I appreciate you taking the time uh, yeah. coming here and uh, you have a, a phenomenal fucking story, man. I, I, you know, to me, the, like, I mean, I, I can't think of a more consummate textbook example of, um, you know, a, a really fucking substantial and, and significant and awesome military career and then transitioning out uh, and just crushing it entrepreneur-wise. I mean, it's, a, it's such an amazing story you have. Hey, thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. I, I still want to ask one question about the hat. So that, that hat, uh, which I don't think you can see it on camera. Maybe we can slide it, slide it in the camera view. But um, the <clears throat> it's a John Deere hat. In fact, if you want to fucking you pull it. You want to go? Sure. I can pull it, uh, pull it closer. Yeah. So this hat, um, it's a John Deere hat. I gave that. So my dad, actually both of my parents worked for John Deere. And you can see the, uh, the bracelet on the top. Yeah, I didn't want to slide it off. Um, <clears throat> So God, this hat's been through hell. <laughs> it, well, literally. Uh, so, um, all right. So both my parents worked for John Deere. Um, and back, this was like in the late nineties before John Deere hats were kind of cool. Um, or, or as you know, kind of as they were starting to become popular, John Deere and Ford hats and like the trucker style hats that, you know, back then like weren't cool as they were starting to get popular, whatever. Anyway, uh, I had a John Deere hat <clears throat> And Glenn Doherty uh, from, uh, he was one of the SEALs killed in Benghazi, um, that, uh, you know, a prominent character in, uh, in the movie 13 Hours. And that, yeah, the uh, memorial bracelets uh, got him and, and Ty Woods' name. Both of them were really good friends of mine. And, um, and so I, <clears throat> I had a John Deere hat. He's like, dude, that hat's fucking awesome, whatever. So I asked my dad to send a, a few more John Deere hats, and that was one of them. Uh, and so I gave that to Glenn back in, I want to say 98, 99, uh, timeframe or 2000, maybe, um, there's a good picture of him. That's fairly popular where I actually took the picture. Uh, we're in the Philippines and he's wearing that hat when we were, uh, training with the Filipino seals that were going down to fight the, uh, Abu Sayyaf guys, uh, in Al Qaeda affiliate down in Mindanao in the Southern Philippines. But, uh, anyway, fast forward to, uh, Benghazi and he was wearing that hat uh, in Benghazi. Uh, and it was, it was in his kit that came home, um, from, uh, from when it was gathered up after he was killed. And so his roommate at the time, uh, received that hat from all of his stuff being sent back over and told me about it and offered it back to me. Sean Lake, the, uh, 
the, one of the co-owners of Bubs, which is a sponsor of the show. Uh, can't thank him and, and Bubs enough for both sponsoring the show and continuing Glenn's legacy through Bubs Naturals with their, their collagen and MCT oil products. But uh, so he gave, gave me his hat back as uh, as kind of a, a gesture, if you will. And, and uh, so I've put it in that case and, and kept it here. Uh, so that hat, so. that hat was in the Benghazi fight? Yeah. Yep. So it's pretty, uh, pretty right, wild. So that's like a fucking, that should be in a museum. Yeah. I mean, it really should. I mean, <laughs> it shouldn't be sitting in this fucking room. Yeah. It should literally be sitting in fucking museum. Well, I, I tell you, if, why is that here? Yeah, if well, so if the uh, if the CIA or or any government entity pulls their head out of their ass enough to find a home for it, I would be happy to donate it. Yeah, you know? no shit. But, I mean, uh, that's yeah, I mean, that's a piece oh, of fucking fuck history. That's <laughs> just sitting there yeah. on that little yeah, table. Now, now I'm gonna have to move it out of here. Yeah. Somebody's <laughs> gonna be kicking the fucking window in trying to steal <laughs> it or something. But yeah, so uh, that was Glenn's hat. So. That's cool. I'm glad I got to see it. Yeah. And that's big piece of history right there. Yeah. Yeah. So for fuck's sake. Amen. Okay. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you bringing me on. Honestly, this yeah, is cool. No, it's, glad it's, to meet you. Yeah. Pl- pleasure and honor having you, man. Yeah. Uh, it's a hell of a story you have and I appreciate you sharing it. And, um, anything, uh, anything else you want to add? No, no. I mean, you should have started off with the fucking hat story. <laughs> or maybe we'll clip, we'll clip it and fucking put it in the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. For the nine people that are still watching, um, the, uh, where can people find you? Uh, what's the easiest way to find I you? I just type in Robert Turkwell. I'll yeah. pop up okay. on so many different things. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks again for coming, yeah. man. I appreciate it. Um, for you guys listening, uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, he's got uh, a pretty inspirational story and one that I think uh, for any anybody, especially vets transitioning out of the military, uh, you know, study what, what he's done. Uh, both in the military as well as when he's gotten out. And, uh, and I think that's a pretty good playbook as to how to conduct yourself to, uh, uh, to go down that same path of success and, uh, and happiness. So I uh, appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you guys for listening. If you didn't enjoy it, fucking choke yourself. And uh, until next time, this is Mike Drop. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. 
the Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.